Greetings, green people. This is the 3T RPG Podcast, a tabletop RPG podcast. And my name is Harrison Hunt. And my name is James Clark. And yeah, today we've got a bloody show for you, haven't we? We're going to do some feedback, we're going to do the news, we're going to get into what we've been playing in the What You Slaying segment, and of course we're going to do the main subject, uh, it's going to be Goblin Games. Yeah, Goblin not as, nu- No, what? not as in Goblin these Nuts, <laughs> but like Goblin a game. Oh yeah, Goblin like a game. eating your RPG Eating books. your green RPG. Well no, we've actually got four fucking uh, reviews in one this time, so you know, count yourself lucky. Big big energy, Um, and then we're going to do the electro letters, which is your correspondence. And uh, I asked for your RPG hot takes this time, and uh, you'll be surprised, James, how quickly it gets sexist. Nice. So yeah, uh, let's do it. Feedback. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch. The feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. So, uh, yeah, last uh, episode I spoke about um, I wanted to see like a soap opera RPG yeah. or like Beverly Housewives. And uh, CJ, he says, I don't know about soap opera RPGs, but Passion, Passion de Passion by Magpie Games is a te- <laughs> telenovela RPG. Good Society is an RPG set in a Jane Austen novel. Brindlewood Bay is a murder she wrote RPG. I think somebody should really write a reality TV show game using some fucked up shoehorn mechanic like 2d20 from conan and call it the fantasy housewives of dragonstone or something i love the fact that he knows so much already about the fact that they had um... well i think i think uh passant de passant sounds like one but then uh what's good society do you know what that is it's uh well it sounds like oh, an rpg set in a jane austen novel okay so oh, that, that that's essentially that's essentially a period rpg in it yeah. like period drama rpg that because um what was what's that one that both of us watched downton abbey oh yeah that's that funny. is essentially a soap opera yeah yes i mean no it definitely is i liked it but it was a soap opera i just like the suits i like the suits and i like the titties oh, hey mate, i hate i'm titties. a simple man <laughs> <laughs> i like a tit in a nice tie um, and uh, he continues, he says, fuck, guess someone took a stab at reality TV competitions too. Uh, in air quotes, it says, uh, I came here to win as a GMless RPG that aims to recreate a session of reality, a season of reality television. Shows such as Terrence House, com- he means Terrace House, Come <laughs> Dine With Me and The Great British Bake Off that features a number of contestants competing to win the favour of judges and all the audience while playing out seemingly unscripted scenes. Imagine GBBO TTRPG. I think I could get really nasty. Well, they're making a fucking play of it. Oh, for fuck's sake. You know that? I didn't, but that makes me really sad. I know. It's it's pretty unbelievable, but... Great British Bake Off is one of those things that I will tune out for, like, two seasons and then come back and it's good again. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Like, the format gets really stale. But I especially liked Japanese Week, where everyone just cooked any Asian dish they wanted. Some of them were, (laughs) like, South Asian, like, Sri Lanka dishes yeah. uh, it was a fucking joke yeah that sounds good so i came here to win is a gmless tabletop rpg that sounds very good we're gonna play that at some point but i think great british bake-off would be best done in say something like D where you have to go and kill the ingredients and it's like uh, Paul hollywood he's like this time it. we're fucking making a, 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 a dragon cake penis uh, you got dragon penis cake and you got going haunty. And Mary Berry comes and goes, yes, lots of slivs. She tastes it and she, she's just like, mmm. Tastes uh, very, very, very... Uh, Mary Berry's not in it anymore. Anyway, it's oh. Prue Leith, who sucks. Who he sucks dick. Dragon dick. 
Um, I should point out. So this um, this episode, uh, we've decided that we're going to drink. We're going to drink alcohol. I haven't started yet, but James, you have. You had a drink before <laughs> before I even came here. So <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I was told to, so I did. You did what? I was told to drink before I come here. Yeah, well, we asked at Discord and they said to drink before he came here, so he has he has been. Because this is one of the few occasions where we're recording at night, isn't it? Night time. So, yeah, thanks And I a got lot. droven. Um, droven. We did have another um, comment on our YouTube, and I suspect that this might be, you know when a new video comes out and there's those bots that just yep. auto-comment on things? Because on our, and I just can't believe this for a second, but a person called Ryuvi on our uh, last podcast on YouTube, he says, what an incredible achievement, breathtaking. And there's no way I can see that as being sincere, unless it was completely sarcastic. Yeah. Like, what an incredible achievement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, but that is the nicest comment we've ever got. Yeah. So he's winning Cool Guy of the Year this year on our award show. Yep, we're already up there. Fancy doing some news, James? Ooh. Or some old. <laughs> Goodman Games paying people to stream DCC. So uh, this is a quote from their website, Good, Goodman Games, who make Dungeon Hall Classics. Uh, they say, Goodman Games is paying $50 per show per host for people who run Twitch content on our channel. That's the important part there. We're, we're also looking for creators of non-streaming video to post Goodman Games-related material on YouTube. So you can apply to stream on their channel. Right. And I think what this is, is I know... Brendan LaSalle, who's written stuff for Goodman Games, he does his his show Blades Against Bandwidth. And uh, so now he's going to get paid for, for doing that, which is very nice of him. $50 a show. I don't think that's anything to be sniffed at. And um, remember recently with the controversy with the, uh, Wizards of the Coast that they were going to start charging people who make this type of content. Like oh. Critical Role, we're going to have to pay them money. Now Goodman Games is doing the opposite. Yeah. $50 isn't that much money, but you have to remember that... Well, the Joseph Goodman. Large. The internet is large. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for that insight. Well, there, could have, no, it could have lots of people trying to buy in. But I suppose. Oh right, yeah, approved, I see what you mean. Right. Yeah, I think you do need to be approved. I don't think ours would go on there anytime soon. If I we could it, just sort of. If I gave them the out. notes for the first episode of our Isle of Dread. No, but thing. we've already got um, some DCC actual plays. We should submit those. Hopefully, we can charge backwards. Backwardly. Back. What would you call it? A retrospectively. Erect retrospectively. retrospectively. Yeah, so then we... Because how many have we done now? Like Inside th- four? No, four? we've done, uh, what, a series? Yeah, I know, like yeah. four episodes total. We've done it? four episodes, but we've also... Done um, another seven, another f- nine. Yeah. We need a big payday for this one, Good Man Games. i tell you what we should do. If they don't um, offer to pay us for the content we've released in the past, we'll delete it and re-upload it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell any. Don't email them saying that I said that, please. We're just going to slot it into where they used to be with a new release date. All I'll do is record myself going new, and then when it <laughs> says at the beginning, "Welcome to a new actual play." <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, that's all the news. But good news, I think. I think it's nice to see somebody not being a cunt for once. I do quite like the fact that they've uh, made up for their. Um, piece of paper, Philofax, uh, pigeonhole storage device. Because now, because now, if you do an actual play with that in um, the background, with that in the background, then you've really earned your money back. I mean, it only costs you forty nine dollars plus shipping to get the box, so <laughs> you know that's one dollar profit, isn't it? Yeah, boy. All right, uh, let's get on to what we've been playing. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of these. 
Oi! Yeah? What? New slaying. Uh, the only thing we've been really playing is um, penis sword fighting yeah. and uh, bum conger. Yeah. Oh, and bum chicken. Yep, yep. But other than that, we've been playing uh, Mutant Crew Classics RPG from Goodman Games. And uh, I've been recording all the sessions so we can get 50 quid a pop. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be weird recently. Well, it's going to be weird. It's going to be good as well. No, it's so, pretty uh, pretty sick. I'm glad you say that because uh, I'm a deeply anxious person. But yeah, <laughs> so uh, Mutant Crawl Classics, for those that don't know, is Goodman Games' version of um, uh, Gamma World using the classic um, uh, OGL. Of Actually, I found this out the other day. Did you know that, Good, uh, that DCC and MCC are based on the 3.5? OGL, not the first oh. edition. It's crazy, you know. But um, that's quite yeah, nice so to hear, to be it's an OSR game that's like Gamma World but playable. And uh, yeah, we've been we've been playing that. And the the whole plot of the thing is that there's this um, uh, it's a post-apocalyptic thing, and there's this ancient computer that the tribe that the players are in called the Children of the Glow. They worship this computer, and it's like a planet-protecting computer. But recently, all these robots that it spawns called angels and archangels and all this shit, they um, they're not protecting you anymore. They're attacking you. And suddenly all the big beasts that this giant computer and protection system was supposed to be uh, destroying and letting humanity thrive, uh, they've been attacking you pretty badly, as it seems. Now, the guys took this mission recently where they were supposed to track down this bloke's wife who recently left their tribe. And um, as far as the characters knew, they were the last last tribe on Earth. They were the last humanity, even though they're a tribe of mutants. And... Um, but they found another tribe of pure strain humans. So these are people that can't be mutated. Uh, they're like human humans, basically. You know, I was quite shocked when that sort of happened, when that leaf turned. I know it's obviously possible in the game, but <clears throat> when we actually came across them during uh, the session, I was just like, in my head, I was like, what? I, I, th I, I think it was an, a nice twist, but then you have to remember that I did tell you at the beginning of the game, you're the last tribe on Earth. So it's pretty easy mm. for me to subvert. <laughs> I was just like, if we started the game and I just went, there's no magic in this setting. And then you get powers. I mean, just pay attention to what GM says. If, if they tell you it's not going to appear, it probably is. Oh, yeah, like the shit that almost killed us. Like, um, what, what do you mean? Which episode are you talking big about? Big Moth, bro. No, because that's every episode. Something nearly yeah, kills you. I mean, MCC is a fucking hard game. It really is. Um, and, uh, yeah, these guys tracked her down and to this other tribe, which is all humans. And uh, they, they worship this uh, high-rise building. Inside is like... The, these humans have um, tried to replicate different echelons of a society they scarcely understand that existed 12,000 years ago, the ancient ones, which is basically us, sort of. And um, so the the uh, the player characters were trying to, having to climb through this tower, through the different levels, to try and track this woman down because they heard that she went all the way to the top. So that meant a lot of fighting, a lot of killing and things like this. Anyway, to get to the fourth level of the tower, and it's uh, essentially two middle-class idiots fighting each other over land, um, and they, they're so, um, there's been so many generations of their families up in this fourth floor that they um, don't even remember why they're fighting over the land or who really owns it, and it's just two big mansions on this vast green field. I like how each section of this high-rise... Um, when you're actually on the floors, uh, it seems like the whole scale goes out the window. Yeah, it can look like something completely different or even you can interact with it. A bit like the holodeck from Star Trek, if mm. you've ever seen that. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, right, they see one of them's living in a Lego house, the other one's in a glass house, and they side with the Lego guy, and they say they're going to they're gonna kill the other bloke because he's got the access card to go up to the next floor. Um, some very unfortunate things happened um, because, essentially, the, the, the guy, the reason that the guy in the glass house got to floor four is because he supposedly invented dynamite for these people, which helped them dig the quarry nearby and then also add extra floors to the high-rise. Um, now I, d- I don't need to sugarcoat anything here, but but the dynamite went off. Yeah, well, his, his old mansion was full of it. So um, yeah, I mean, it was only a matter of time, really. But I think it was just one sort of fuck up roll after another. Now the characters we got, we got James's character Ranchid, who's an electrical generating raccoon man, and mm. we got Sean, who's a super mutant with stretchy powers, and then we had a mold guy who's a plantian, a sentient plant essentially, who's yeah. made out of mold. Anyway. After the dynamite went off, uh, of course, it just blew one half of the building out and the whole rest of it was going to topple, killing the woman they'd come here to find. Um, Sean was holding it up, his mutant character with his stretchy arms and shit, but uh, yeah, it wasn't long before, um, uh, well, the building fell. Yep. The mould guy got killed pretty... And you know what was so sad about that? Was that he went down due to the explosion, right? Yep. And then in DCC, if somebody can recover your body and flip it over within an hour, uh, there's a chance you may be still alive. And you have to roll a luck roll. Now, Palantians, they can regenerate luck. So the the, character, the player had spent all of his luck, right down yeah. to two, right? Right down to two, the minimum you can have before basically dying. Dying of complete... Unluckiness. Yeah. And um, uh, so what that meant was we his character went down due to the explosion and I was like, okay, well, look, somebody can flip your body over because you, you're not blown to bits. He wasn't, yeah. like, down to, you know, minus 100 HP. So when I went over and tried to flip his body, but he has to do the luck roll. He has to do the roll. So he rolls a d20 and all he needs to get is a two or under mm. and we're like well he's fucking dead then he's dead that's never gonna fucking happen he rolls a two bang on yeah we we're fucking celebrating like we're mad going, cunts. yeah we are going pretty going crazy haywire and going, going mental <laughs> up in that up in that shit we're spinning around fucking kicking each other. other kicking each other right in the vagina f- fuck hole uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, then of course they get outside. Uh, I can't remember if they, you got outside, but the part of the building fell on him. Yeah, well, it was um, we were fighting against uh, an archangel, and then he killed him. Yeah, get, get and this, uh, he this threw, archangel he threw a bit of building at him. Yeah, so the archangel had a gravity gun, um, which was part of how the, the the building was getting built in the first place, right? That um, was that it was helping the people from the quarry move the stone upwards. Now, fuck, of course, uh, the archangel, they're supposed to protect humanity, sees these cunts and uh, fires at them. He fires one a uh, two tons worth of uh, of stone material at the planter, and he dies instantly after mm. that victory. Because the, the trouble is, right, is I can't remember what I don't remember what the penalty is. If you are revived in that fashion, where somebody flips your body over in MCC, um, you're going to be at minus four for all actions for the next day. So the yeah. idea really is fuck off out of there yep. and leave. Go away, rest up, fix. But uh, unfortunately, these guys got in a fight, sort of against their will, and uh, it just meant. Uh, and they tried to escape, but he was obviously really fucking low and was rolling at minus four. So he didn't fucking escape. And it was after that huge victory where he rolled a fucking two on his dice, where everyone was just going mental. And then that, it was just like, yeah, nice try, mate. Yeah, Never it was quite cutting because he's he's managed to create a really, really good character. And then he had such a miraculous success to, to not die. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and he was extremely useful in how he was built not and and it was all unintentional i believe like he he got some cool well well actually all the mutations rolled randomly so you know he had some really he his character was out of everyone the most survivable yeah because his toughness because he had like hardened skin and all this shit was he had hardened skin and regeneration yeah so naturally um it was like a, a 14 um and then he had some armor on top, so it was a seventeen. It was crazy, and 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 then and then well, but then the damage he took, it was just too much. Mm. And then having that minus four, he, he just got fucked. I mean, it's a miracle that neither yours or Sean's character have died, but you've definitely been through the ring and like well, gone down I, during a lot. that same session. I had to revive Sean again, <laughs> yeah, for like the seventh time. I should put a revival counter in my fucking sheet because I've done it's it. It's definitely higher than your kill count. <laughs> and your kill count is high. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it was very sad. Um, but fortunately, now this is just a, happened to be a weird coin, and I don't even know why I did this, but that same player, his planting character died. It just so happened at th- about three sessions before, because these guys, for their tribe, they're warders, right? So they, they, they're the ones that are allowed to go out. They're sort of supposed to protect the village. Yeah. And uh, they stay in this bailey, which is, you know, like an old armoured section of this um, ancient village they live in. And fucking... Uh, Did we get, well, like, well, slizzed one night? It got slizzed. Uh, uh, and uh, what, what happened was, is that, during, like, during their downtime, mm. they, I was like, right, is it everyone going to go to bed then? James sleeps on his tails, because he's got nine tails. Sean sleeps on a bed. And then this player, he was trying to create a nicer, mouldy environment for himself to sleep in. And yeah. so he put spores all over this damp pillow that was in the side. So now uh, his son sort of has been propagated via this pillow so when his planting character frankie died he's now come back as another mold man called dank p low which is brilliant um but he's a day old and um this is a problem because uh recently the guys they fought this giant moth thing right and the cool thing is is james your character he's got symbiotic touch yeah so you felt up the moth it's like Mothra, like it's fucking building-sized moth that yep. can fire explosions out of his face. And James, he, he fucking um, he used symbiotic touch to give it a command to make it fuck off. But it didn't and save, therefore it heeded my command. You, yeah, you just went, go somewhere else. And yeah, I rolled like, I rolled randomly, yeah, and leave, of course it went south, and that's towards your village. So when the guys kept back... And we, you know we completely, uh, players at the table glossed over that, we didn't pick up that at all I was quite explicit about it yeah. but sometimes when you're in the middle of a fight with a giant moth the little details you're probably not going to pick up on so I do understand because I do remember now when like when you brought it up last time you're like you said, you said yeah and it goes south and then there was a pause you went yep so anyway because uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like we obviously well do you know what the funny thing is I didn't I didn't actually say go south I rolled and went right he's going that way and almost pointed to your village thinking right everyone's going to everyone's going to go right we need to get back there quick and then it was like it's exactly as you said i was like right so what do you guys want to do <laughs> um but yeah so they get home after failing the mission to save this guy's fucking wife uh, only to see that because one of the the abilities like direct from the fucking mcc book is that this thing can um blast a hundred foot sphere explosion yeah uh and it is destroyed the church of their town yeah Oh, and just to bring it uh, in line with a little bit more context, I know we may have mentioned it already, but in terms of timeline of events, is we saw the Mothra first and then went to the high rise afterwards. Then that failed. Then failed. Played that. that uh, we were there for a couple sessions. Yeah. And then Frankie died. And then at which point we 
um, did some uh, some quick time back to our town. Yeah, totally. So there are a few sessions between the Mothra and us actually getting all right back. Yeah, so they didn't even realise. it uh, In-game, in it, it was about a week and three days yeah. before they got back. Yeah. And... Now, now put it, but in the perspective of the villagers, right? They've seen the 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 things that their god was supposed to be protecting them from have just fucked the church, which is also the the place where apparently you know their god's soul lives. Mm-hmm. In addition to this, I, like the, the, they've it, it, people have been dying left, right, and centre. Bad shit's been happening all over the place. They've heard rumours about archangels attacking innocent people, right? So they, the guys get home, all of the party, and they just see that it's become completely godless and people are just they're having sex in the streets they're smashing windows they're drunk they're on drugs lying around yeah although all of this by the way every single thing that's happening is consensual i did point out because um because uh, the guys were like fucking hell they're just going around raping everyone and i was like no no there's crime happening but there's yeah. just there's there's wanton filth happening yeah but it's consensual we were about to um go uh we're about to kill some people because we thought they were doing some wrongdoings, but then we needed that it, extra I mean, level of detail. It, in the eyes of your religion, I'd, I'd imagine it it's, maybe is wrongdoings, probably to do it in public. I mean, that's well, they obscene, kind of they it? lost all their inhibitions and everything, and they just yeah, thought, they well, just going buck wild. No God, we might as well just um, have it, do whatever have it we here. want, have it here right now. Now, of course, that becomes a problem when you when you understand what we said earlier that the guys get back and find that the pillows has propagated a new mold man who happens to be one day old, and this stuff is going on. So he uh, he woke up and he's got you know intelligence because he's a mutant. He's not like an actual baby, but he's walking around the village <laughs> looking for batteries. Yeah. And the way the character play out, he's just like right, I turn a corner, I see you know what's going on, and I just go. Ugh. <laughs> and then move on to the next one. <laughs> and um, yeah, so um, yeah, they said they've now set up a deal with the High Rise tribe to take uh, bits of their quarry. And what was genius about this is that in MCC, right? So uh, any computers or any uh, AIs, I should say, they will recognise people as as human, right? And in order to get to communicate with that AI, they have to recognise you as human. Mm. One of the things is is that the the um, AIs will never ever recognise a plantian person as a human because they're just so far removed from it. I mean, they they were literally a bit of mold. Yeah, because to put it this way, when you lose all your mutations, if you're a mutant or a manimal, uh, if you lose all your mutations, you turn into a man, right? If you lose all of your mutations and you're a plantian, you turn into a plant. So they're they're literally <laughs> not even human. Yeah. So in a genius move, they knew that this archangel was circling around High Rise. So they sent um, basically the first leg of the journey to transport this stone back to the village to rebuild the church. It's it's all of the Plantian people from their tribe that yeah, are doing so it. So the, the AI will just pathway. cut out pathway, and uh, the AI all it sees this archangel is just bushes moving around. Yeah, just growing on stuff. As far as it's concerned, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean he shot Frankie before, but that's because he was attacking him. Yeah, because he was a threat. Uh, yeah, it's different. Therefore, in this like, case, it's a just, bush don't shoot, a bush don't hit. And uh, in this case, it's sort of like he, yeah, they're, all they see is people leaving stone by the woods and then uh, bushes growing over it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so the church is being rebuilt, but um, in addition to this, they, and, and this game isn't exactly cinematic. It doesn't, we, it's an open world type thing, so we're not really following a storyline although the main storyline is to find out why god is quote-unquote sick and yeah. to figure out why the angels are attacking but they've heard about recently this legendary weapon they saw a, it's something in dcc called a data ghost right 
Now, he's met this bloke several times called Christos, who says he knows of a legendary weapon. And I fucked up as well, because it's called X-Caliber, right? It's a gun. It's, and I accidentally said it was a sword, then corrected myself. Uh, I, I went, uh, the Christos, he says to you, hey, man, there's this uh, legendary sword. I mean weapon. And Sean goes, right, it's a gun then. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> that was the big twist that I really, but yeah. So they've, they've gone after that. Um, and where we left it is that the guys had made a boat out of Funko Pops, don't ask, and uh, part of a tree, do ask, and uh, they floated out onto this great lake because there's this lady of the lake guarding Excalibur, right? Yeah. Who also happens to be a data ghost. And uh, a lot happened in that session, so we ended up leaving it where um, where the guys, well, the, the woman said, either, we can f- either you can fight me, or you can play me at chess. Those are the two options you've got. And if you win it either. Yeah, but the thing is, right. Like, so Harrison said that basically what we're going to do if we choose the chess route is it'll be all three of us playing one game, like in, in total, one game in total, not one game each. You guys can consult in turns and it's Sandy. Yeah, other. but one game against Harrison. But I know Harrison's pretty good at chess. I'm not I'm not that good. You've it, beaten me before, man. Yeah, yeah, but comparatively, like, if you, you don't think you're that good, but comparatively to the rest of us, I think the only person who would give you a challenge would be JT. Yeah, I mean, so one the other player in our group, uh, Tabuscus or JT or Tomasin, he is... I, he's very he's very intelligent there's no two he's ways about it he's got a lot of um, unneeded general knowledge <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of very boring things to say um, but I no mean, he's, he's, he's yeah he can talk I, forever I reckon he can talk forever he's not boring he's probably not listening but if you are sorry about that love you um, but I reckon I reckon the three of you together will probably be able to win but yeah, but I hope so. But I'm genuinely this whole. As soon as you mentioned it, and I was just like, "Yeah, there's like a ninety ninety five percent chance that we're going to play do the chess route." Um, and I was just thinking, "Oh, I should probably like brush up on my skills because I'm I haven't played chess in ages." And uh, well, we did we did we did play quite a bit after watching Queen's Gambit. Um, obviously, like everyone yeah. did. Um, but I have kept up playing it. I, I don't play that often. I do play semi regularly, but I tend to do it against computer opponents because I kept on doing, um, t- uh, like you know, twenty four hours to reply sort of oh, turn yeah. thing, and then I would just forget, and then I'd lose, and my score was going down so hard. I was just like, well, at least if I play against a computer opponent, I can just forget about it for a while and then come yeah, back I to it. Yeah, I suppose that's what you want, like, uh, the ability to have a leisurely game of chess. Not Although, not a, a thing warning you going, you've got five minutes to make your move, and I'm like, uh, and then I just, my queen gets taken every single fucking time. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that that's the choice. You can play chess against her or you can fight her. Now... So we're playing chess? Well, that would be cool. I think it'd be fun. But uh, she is also a hologram, so damaging her is—I don't know—I don't know how you're going to do it. But there we, there we go. That's where we left it. I mean, one cool thing was just the 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 only sort of side scene we did was where you guys went to. Well, they had to deliver the news that this bloke's wife had died to the bloke. This it was a, a blacksmith called Merthin. Right? Oh, mate, there was a lot of weight put on this because we've with the whole reason that Frankie died basically, and the whole reason we went to the high rise, and the whole reason that. That entire arc of the campaign was played out was because we followed the lead that was in put up on the fucking poster wall in a tavern or whatever it was, and we we 
we're just like, oh yeah, we're going to hunt down Merton's wife. And uh, hopefully find some clues about the Archangels. But yeah. really, because you've got a relationship with Merton yeah. now, it was a little bit, I'm doing it for him. We promised yeah. we were going to do it, we're doing it. Yeah, because right? we were like... You so you didn't even him. have to. Yeah, and we were just like, yeah, we'll do that. So it was like a ton of effort. And we don't even know her. We, we, we barely know Merton, but we know enough... We've been through enough uh, in terms of what we've done in the sessions to be buddy buddy and friendly because he's our blacksmith as well. So yes. he can he does all our repairs and stuff. So obviously we want to be friendly with him. But there was so much effort going into this, like because of the random encounters and the travel and Mate, the fact that we had to like go through this treacherous terrain. I reckon just getting there is yeah. one of the hardest things I've ever seen a party have to go through in, it in was, a yeah, game. It's quite interesting doing the um the hex rolls, the uh, the fact that you're trying to roll intelligence to see if you can navigate and track. But it was also, yeah, tracking her was more difficult than just navigating normally. So yeah. it was really fucking hard, especially because parts of it were during a rainstorm. And oh man, the, the fucking environmental influence. It just was, mad. it was insane. And, and then all of that effort just for her to literally be crushed in a falling building. Yeah, I mean, we never identified or confirmed, but I mean, it's but, I mean, obvious. it was sort of like a. It was like, you look, know, look a lot of the building turned into dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, they get back, and it turns out that really, because she left Merthyn in, in. Well, the funny part, I think, was when you were delivering the news, because basically they said to Merthyn, they were like, oh, yeah, look, we're, we're going to take you out for a drink. Oh, you know, Sean laughed this bit. Getting drunk. Yeah, Sean was pretending to be drunk. There was a point where he was larping around the room, speaking to a wall, and he's like, hey, man, I ain't seen you in a while. And uh, <laughs> fucking um, James, your acting was sort of spot on because uh, <laughs> there was a point where Merthyn, he's, they're all drunk, they're all merry, like having a great time. And suddenly Merthyn, he turns to he's like, so what do, you, what do you want to tell me, man? Did you find my wife? And um, James's face just sunk. He's like, oh. <laughs> Listen, man, I've got to tell you something. <laughs> and like, I've got a picture of it. I'll put it on our Discord server, but it was, it was amazing. I was like, that's Oscar worthy right there. I was like, hey, man, you need to sit down. <laughs> but your face was just such, it was such a good picture. But then Sean like, stood up, walked straight into the corner and just went, oh, yeah, because Harris was like, what is your character doing? And he just went, and he just stood up, like, Sean, where are you going? And then he just stood in the corner, act absolutely trash, and just went, Hey man, you dead. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. And that's how he—that's how he ended up delivering the news because he just went, "Hey man, I've speak to you in ages. Your wife's dead." So he was meant to be away from him, but because um, Harrison rolled the, uh, the he basically rolled to hear him and he heard him straight up. And yeah, he was, and he was like, "What was that?" <laughs> well, and and it, so Merton's face sort of drops and he's like, "How did she die?" And you're like, "She got crushed by a building, man." <laughs> and he's like. He's, and then suddenly his face lights up. And he's like, yeah! He really wanted her back because he was going to beat the shit out of her for just leaving him randomly, right? Wow. Which is a terrible thing to do. <laughs> but hey, it's not me. And the thing is, um, uh, he was pleased because I think if she'd have just died being, you know, killed by some sort of wolf on the way home, that that would have been a disappointment for well, him. It's, it's, but he wanted revenge. Yeah, right? he wanted revenge. And there's obviously something that we, at least for now, will never know about her. And he was chuffed. Yeah. He was chuffed because she was crushed by a building. I mean, yeah. what better revenge could there possibly be? Yeah, there's no coming back from that. No. So, uh, yeah, pretty good ending. I mean, I don't know if he was going to beat the shit out of her, but he, I at least wanted to sort of really give her some. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, so it's it, it worked out. So, yeah, next session we'll get to the uh, Excalibur and the legendary weapon. But I really feel like 
at the moment this campaign where we're starting to get to that point where there's just no prompting required there's enough yeah. there for you guys to just go here's what we want to do i here's feel like mission. um it was quite refreshing last time so there's a few missions that we could have picked up that were close by and really if you look at the map that we've got that we've got tiny hexes on like each hex is about five millimeters um wide Yes, yeah, thereabouts. So the map itself, the world map that we're using to navigate and draw on and etc., is is fairly small. So we've stayed in close proximity. I think the most that we've covered maybe is sixteen up. And that's no, about I think it. it's I think it's probably about ten or twelve, something like that. I oh, don't really? Know. Yeah, yeah. Because the far. furthest you've gone is high rise, and oh, yeah. so you've stuck relatively close. Although the distances is quite far, but yeah. yeah. So, but uh, at the end of the last session, we were trying to you know think of where should we go and then i was just like we should definitely stay close by because think about all of the pain that we've been through <laughs> in our journeys um but then we actually managed to make an exceedingly long journey get to the mouth of the river get a boat um ready and we just managed the luck was on our side last session that's all it was luck was on our side yes and we bossed it straight to the center where well, we now, needed to be this is one thing i wanted to talk about and i really would like people's advice on this because see the thing is right dcc and mcc there's no travel mechanics they just aren't yeah. I, and I, I assume that's either because you're supposed to wing it or travel really isn't the point but of either one that's quite a nice flavor to this set. i think it's important for for something like mcc uh, or especially in anything open world, really, well, really open world. Well, considering that we don't know the surrounding areas, I think how it's are we going to be able to navigate it? We'll well, just exactly. Go, oh, just like go this direction. And I don't want to be in a position where I'm just making up encounters. Uh, I, I think I want it to be fair, but I want it to feel like the environment's against you, but it's not me controlling it. And it's the all environment down to is roles. fucking against us. Yeah, and uh, the, so the thing is, what I've done is I've taken uh, large inspiration from the uh, travel mechanics from just old school essentials. And it's like... The one trouble I have, right, is that the, yeah. we we I'm allowing people to spend their luck points. Our so luck is an expendable uh, uh, expendable resource in MCC. It's a stat, but it's a it's a resource as well that you can use to add a plus one to any roll. Now, on most rolls, right, you're rolling a d6, and then it's like, for example, yeah, for in, in woodlands, it's it's one or two to to get a random encounter. Uh, and in desert, it's, it's between one, one and three. Yeah, and so on and so on. So, but the thing is, I've allowed players to spend luck rolls on their random encounters, and I think it's fair, right? Because it's like, well, you get lucky, so you don't encounter anything. And also, luck is, you know, it's it's not easy to come by, although we are using a fleeting luck rule where you can gain temporary luck to spend throughout the session. The trouble is, right, is that the Plantian character, so he, it, for every luck he spends, he, gen he his, generates yeah. two luck, which his, he can give his luck out. stat that he spends, he generates If two he spends the stat, not tokens. the temporary ones. Yeah, yeah, so he could generate luck to give to other players. Yeah, he generates fleeting luck each time. Yes, in this case yeah so but what what happened was is that the, we were rolling random encounters and these guys have traveled 20 thing 20 miles you know and at the end of every day he regenerates two plus two times his level so he's yeah. level one he regenerates four throughout the day everyone spends let's say mostly you're rolling ones and twos so every yeah. every day of travel you can spend in one or two he regenerates four so so his luck he's going up and down each like so at the moment we've at least for the travel we found a way to make it suit us. But then but then you have to remember this is a rule I've injected into the MCC. Yeah. 
I know I don't I I personally because before when uh, the previous character Frankie he we got the fleeting luck rule in terms of planting slightly incorrect and slightly incorrect in uh, I thought he it. would just regenerate it two a day right yeah. um and it, at this point and it was it was it, that was like the you were he was trying to uh, ration out his luck yeah, points to really not conservative but then, but then it, it turns out you know he's found a way where he was he was essentially generating more luck than was being spent but then again he was saying oh, I'm just going to spend luck to generate luck to give to you guys yeah. but you have to sp- oh, fuck it no. but you have to spend it on a roll you can't just spend it out of nowhere and I think I, I only realised that he was doing that after the game you can't just go I oh, spend a luck to generate luck you have to do it on a roll right oh, yeah. so that that's my point I think I think Wait, he f- wasn't he doing it he was doing it for the stamina roll he might have done, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, yeah. I think I think I'm going to veto that rule because I think you should be able to spend luck on any roll that you do. But the only reason I get players to roll the random encounters is because then they're rolling and it's more fun than just well, watching me roll dice. That, um, previous, our fate is in our hands. Yes, and previously I don't think it's been. I don't think it's been been a problem, but I think now no, it's been identified it that this mechanic from MCC oh, yeah. overrules this mechanic from OSE. Do you yeah, see what I mean? I feel like the in terms of problem, yeah, the the, the last episode is a problem because um, it allowed it basically gave us too much fleeting luck, which is maybe just because, like I said, it's been injected in. But it's not. But it's not a problem. Say, for example, if he's if he's spending luck yeah. uh, on, on normal rolls and it's generating luck for you guys, yeah. that can leave at any point. Especially if you're in a combat and you're doing rolls constantly, you're always at risk of rolling a one, which means that all of the luck on the table goes back into the bag, and you players don't have any more. I think it's the only other word, like problematic side of it was when we were rolling a random encounters and then we got the two worst possible results in the table at the back of your see, book. See, that, but that's that's where I that's where I wanted to be like, what I, I want to have something that you guys can do about random encounters. Yeah. I don't want it, to, I, maybe not mechanically, but I think maybe I'm just going to veto that rule altogether because I think if you do get a random encounter with something, you do always have the freedom to run away. Although the thing is with the moth, for example, that could have just killed you and you got lucky. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think spending luck on random encounter rolls was, like a, the, was a good choice on my part. The only yeah. reason that we didn't or couldn't run away from the moth was because it's city size, so you kind of couldn't run away from its its. Um, but then, but then that's just that's the but you've rolled that encounter. Yeah, I think that's fine. It's like you sometimes you're getting unlucky. Something fucking massive is going to come out of it. No, but with the random encounter rolls, I think I'm going to change it so that only permanent luck, not fleeting luck. Maybe you can still spend luck on those rolls, but it has to be permanent, not fleeting. Because then that means that, f- like, first of all, you can you guys do have an option of this resource to spend to av- av- uh, get lucky and avoid random encounters. But then, in addition to that, it's one that you're not going to get back easily unless uh, you're a plantian. So maybe he's going to avoid more, but he blends into the woods and stuff like this. They're lucky creatures. By uh, by, that makes a bit more sense, actually. Yeah, I might do that. I might do that. Or but if, if anyone else has any suggestions, let me know. I mean, of course, you could just do you know rolling for surprise and legging it of course but uh yeah i don't know i've i I like the idea of being able to spend luck on any roll which is because i just think it's more fun well yeah and it kind of it gives us um a really large reward actually uh for for spending the luck that we've gained because obviously every time we gain it is is quite a prize Mm -hmm. um i think actually i just thought of 
um, if we're doing any kind of travel, you could be like, right, you can spend luck up to this amount for this one session. That's it. So three times only in that one session. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that would be a good way. Then you could be like, right, we need to get here quick. So if we roll badly, we're going to spend luck. Um, or be like, actually, we'd like the encounters because we want to level up or whatever. Then it's also just, another good way of looking yeah. at it. Like, 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 because maybe once, uh, yeah. I mean, last session also I fucked up big time because it was towards the end of the night where we we're doing these travel rolls, and I was both drunk and tired, and uh, I actually completely forgot to do the navigation rolls. I was just doing the encounters, which was really fucking dumb of me. Oh, uh, well, it's because we plotted out our route. Yeah, no, no. I, I did say I did say that it was going to be easier because you knew the route to where you were going. Or at least you knew at least the general direction. But yeah, I should have done navigation rolls, roll to get lost, all of this shit, and I completely forgot. And we were just going right. Gets to the end of day one. Who's doing first watch? I'll tell you we what, did. though, in terms of like what actually happened, the map, the world has now opened up massively for us, like loads more than we had. So I feel like it, it's breathed new life into something where I think at least for me I was really scared about going in. No, I, I get that man like like totally I think it's it's nice because this is this is the furthest you've ever gone now do you know can I just can I just say something now this is a little bit of a spoiler maybe have a think about this before the next session but you're on in the middle of a great lake right which might you know we've we were talking about this last session for people that, but people that live in England the idea of a great lake is insane because it's yeah. just too big, and we were we were talking about when we went to Lake Erie in uh, <laughs> Ohio, and I thought that Ohio was a coastal town because it goes over the horizon. It just blew my fucking mind. Right, you're in the middle of that Great Lake. All you can see is ocean in every direction. Oh, no. How are you navigating back? Sun, bro. <laughs> All right, yeah, fair enough. All right, sun, bro. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, good luck. That's all I'm going to fucking say. Anyway, we've gone way too much about MCC, but that is, uh, that's where we're at. Uh, shall we do some main subject? Yeah. Main. New. Subject. Magic. Main. Subject. Tokyo. Main. Subject. So, uh, it's no secret on the podcast that we love a good goblin RPG and uh, goblin these nuts. And for many <laughs> years, we've had a category for best damn goblin game on our yearly awards show. Although that was just a flimsy excuse to give Saga of the Goblin Horde an award once a year. Always deserves it. It always does. And while that game remains one of my favourites of all time, playing horrible little green men in a fantasy world should really be considered a setting type rather than a genre. Because... Across RPGs, there's a great many goblin games, all of which have their own unique flavour, feel and atmosphere. From the desperate low-power setting of Darkhold, all the way to the joyously cartoonish Goblin Quest. Um, so today, we're going to be taking a look at the most notable and awesome goblin RPGs available right now. I always say goblin like that, but uh, uh, available right now. And hopefully demonstrate that the goblin setting is one that is criminally underappreciated. Now, this came to me recently because uh, I've been talking to CJ, one of our fans on the Discord. Everyone who's listening, get on the Discord. There's some nice people there. He's and, basically um, our pod dad because like, he's a legend. Him. Yeah, he's, he's probably the great... Uh, now, I don't exaggerate here, but the greatest man who ever lived. Um, but he said uh, he gave us a very nice compliment, and he said, "I uh, just you know keep keep reviewing awesome stuff." And yeah. I was like, "I know we do do review awesome stuff, but, but then that's the whole, I, right, I mean, not to blow our own trumpet, but that's the point. 
It's, it is. And I realised that we haven't reviewed something good in ages. We've only been doing rubbish. <laughs> yeah, so to I be thought, fair, we've been targeting a lot of, like, pop, which is... A um, lot of pop. Yeah, a lot of pop, mate. A lot of pop, a lot of fuck. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I thought today I'd, I'd do something I like. And I've got... We're, we're going to review four games. Uh, and these are all ones that I really like. And hopefully I'll uh, demonstrate why you should like them too and give the people that make them money. Even in the case of Saga Goblin Horde, which is free. Figure it out. Now... Goblins, right? They've long been a classic monster in games, even remotely based on folklore. In English, the term goblin simply refers to any mischievous or ill-intentioned spirit. Uh, Sean, for example. Nick, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, And the word itself comes from the 14th century Latin word, goblinus, which is a uh, kind of demon or devil that haunted countryside areas, killing sheep and that. A myth likely made up when farmers found their livestock had been savaged in the night, although the truth is it was probably badgers, foxes, or the Welsh. Yeah, they probably actually misinterpreted it, saying, oh, me, my sheep's been gobbling up. There's been gobbling my sheep. Somebody, something's been gobbling my sheep. Been what did you say? Up. Got, there's been a goblin. What's a goblin? Nothing goblin machine. No, there's been a goblin at my farm. Something's been goblin. You see that there? There's a goblin. That's a goblin. There's been a goblin up. Goblin in a school canoe. I tried to make a Simpsons joke. Um, in UK folklore, right, these gobbos appear in many different types, including Scottish Redcap, who wears a hat dyed with human blood, or the Hobgoblin, who are more cheeky and mischievous rather than pure evil and more often friendly. But we also have the German Erkling, who was a giant goblin with a beard who lured children away from their homes and then savaged them. Fucking hell. A bit like Dark. Bobby Evans. But this myth... No, just disclaimer... He's never done that. Uh, But this myth was likely born because of children being savaged by the Welsh. My point (laughs) is, if what we think of goblins in D&D are just one interpretation of the green fuckers, and actually the term casts a really wide net all over the flat globe. So in essence, this means that the monster is not as shallow as someone might first think, and they needn't necessarily be all roughly the same, and could be anything from mildly annoying to savage rapers and pillagers, (laughs) or a stand-in for the Welsh. If that's your cup of tea. And I think that's something Grant Howitt, the author of uh, the RPG Goblin Quest, well understood. And this is the first one we're going to dive into today, James. Yes, mate. So no doubt, upon looking at this RPG, right, you'll notice the artwork. And James, I sent you the, the front cover. And uh, it's very... It paints the goblins in an adorable style with a group of perturbed goblins on, on, on looking a triumphant one who stands atop a pile of trash holding a frying pan aloft in Victory, which contains bacon and eggs. Yeah, the Goblin Quest art style is, is cute and cool. Mm. And I like it. But yeah, in this setting, right, goblins are genderless unless they want a gender and are bred for war in the green pits under the Great Battle Camp, which, as the book puts it, was built in ancient history seven years ago (laughs) and essentially uh, this camp was built as a defence against the forces of good and was built by a group called the Black Wizards I'm gonna do a magic on your ass I'm a wizard which is fine uh, who reside in a huge tower in the north side of the great battle camp and to the goblins right these wizards are basically god kings um, but the goblins aren't the only race of people in the dark army there's orcs bugbears and hobgoblins too but these gobbos are the lowest of the low. And while the bugbears enjoy owls at the pub and the camp and the hobgoblins do the admin and day-to-day shit, the gobgoblins live in caves beneath the camp, festering amongst the slizz and the slunge. 
Now, once a week, right, the army organises itself and orcs, bugbears and wizards march off to do war against good aligned people, which it sounds like a lot of fun. And also, right, as they do this war, um, the goblins, right, they're at the front. They're always at the front. They're used as cannon fodder and bullet sponges. Now, if the setting isn't cool and amusing enough, there's a little section on each of the races in the camp, and they're both funny and awesome, right? The wizards, for example, who are drawn like corrupted disease bags, like, albeit in a cartoony way. They've got growths all over them. They've got fucking tentacles coming out of their faces. They can fly. Wizards can fly in this. That's uh, pretty sick, mate. Now, the explanation isn't simply that it's magic, right? I mean, that would be acceptable because fucking, you know, uh, Ice Wizard. What's his fucking name from Adventure Time? He flies, but it's because of magic. In uh, Goblin Quest, the wizards fly because uh, uh, their robes suck air through the hood and expunge it out the bottom, sending them <laughs> <laughs> sending them hurtling through so the like air. A, he's, he's riding a hoover. Yeah, essentially. Well, no, you're wearing a hoover. Oh yeah. So the wizards' robes—they they sort of like flap it, like like just just so imagine out. that they can never be stealthy because it's just going. Well, I mean, it, it would have to make a lot of noise, right? <laughs> if your hood's just uh, and also their faces are sort of constantly dragged downwards, which is probably why they look so you know fucked up. They're so forlorn. But wizards uh, are the only ones really able to use this effectively, right? So any non-wizards that uh, wear a wizard's robe. Uh, they really only manage to suck the air in, but but not fly. They just float away like an aimless balloon. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. And they're also, uh, for some reason, wizards are afraid of gnomes and uh, semi-immortal because they partition their souls into a phylactery, which can be uh, basically any object or creature they want. Do you reckon and- they're scared of gnomes because they're like really tiny versions of them? Well, when I, when I think of a wizard, it is essentially a, a bloke with a beard. Yeah. Holding, yeah, a gnome's, a gnome's got a fishing rod. Pointy hat. Yeah, I, I think. Well, just imagine right now, James, if you if you looked over into the corner of the room, and you just saw a little Filipino man, like two inches high, you probably would. It would scare the shit out of you. It would actually. Yeah. So fair enough. I don't, I don't blame them. But let's talk about goblin characters, right, in Goblin Quest. Uh, character options and so on, because, uh, you know, that's why we're here, all here, isn't it? First off, it's important to note that in this game, the average lifespan of a goblin is one week. Uh, <laughs> with one goblin... Um, there was one goblin king, right? He's said to have lived for 11 days. Wow. But most people consider that to be a myth. And the reason this is the case is because of a kind of cosmic bad luck. To quote the book, goblins simply attract unwanted misery. Also, much to their deficit, goblins in this universe taste really good, which is a big problem in a world where there's no vegans. You know? Mm. Everything wants to fucking eat you. Even your employers want to eat you. Humans want to eat you. They're just tasty as fuck. You know, in terms of like their longevity and the fact that their mortality is days... I feel like that's quite fitting for an RPG because we've had a few campaigns where MCC is basically the same, but not on purpose like this. No, but it's like you'd you'd a few campaigns, loads of stuff would happen, and then we get back to like the village, you know, be like, oh my god, so much has happened in a week. Yeah, we no, we we spoke about this before. Like like so many RPGs, you think about. Like, like you do a lot, but when you think about the actual amount of days that pass, mm. that's why I made a joke about it. Because you mentioned this once before, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a good point." Like battle, and in, in Dirt like, Boy, yeah, it's done in two seconds. <laughs> it, like, and oh, in minutes. Dirt Boy Blues, you know, at the end yeah. when uh, uh, your boss Nathan Breckett's like, "This has been a really weird week," because <laughs> it, it it was about five days that that fucking <laughs> campaign took place over. I mean, it yeah. was only five episodes, but then if you play a thirty-episode campaign, it's like that's a month. 
but it feels like it's been a year because yeah. it will take you a year to. Like the only time though where you can speed it up is during downtime where you say, "I oh, yeah, rest and heal up for a week." Or anything that's what like you got to do if you want your games to seem epic and take place over a long time. Just go like, right. Well, what are you doing for the next year before <laughs> something happens? <laughs> Gonna get well strong in it. Yeah, so also all the goblins, right? They're magically made in the green pits. Uh, and, and as they're made there, the skills they receive at character creation are imprinted in their minds, like the Matrix. So yeah, they only live a week, but it's not like they come out as a baby. They come out fully formed with a bunch of stuff magically imprinted into their brains. And a drawback to this, however, is that as they're essentially mass-produced and disposable, they gain no nourishment from eating, because there's no point. They only live a week. So the wizards don't mean they don't make them in a manner which means they can eat. That's fucked up, man. It's fucked up. But if you look at the artwork, it's not fucked up. It's cute. <laughs> uh, and they simply have a single pool of energy from birth, which depletes until they die a week later. It's quite sad, actually, when you think about it. <laughs> Lastly, they're often used as a ranged weapon by orcs in this setting. In fact, here's what the book says: A skilled orc can fell an opponent at 100 paces with a well-aimed goblin. Most orcs prefer to use throwing axes, as unlike goblins, they can be reused. <laughs> so they will lob them, but that goblin's turned into mints. Lob a gob, mate. They lob a gob, but when he hits a, a human opponent, he's gonna he's turning into mints. He's fucking dead. Oh, mince goblin. I bet it tastes very nice as well. Oh, you fun. <laughs> like some goblin, innit? Um, so as you can see, the goblins, right, in this setting, they have a difficult time in Goblin Quest. And as such... The character creation and the games itself is is very simple because you're going to get through a lot of goblins, basically. In fact, Goblin Quest, you don't play one goblin, you play five uh, Mm. who have come from the same nest, right? And uh, in this setting, it's called a clutch. So first, you come up with your clutch name, basically which nest you were born in, something like Big Tooth or Claw Hide or something like that. Next, you decide what is the ultimate dream of your clutch. Some examples include Collector, where you your aim is to find something of tremendous value, or Celebrity, where you want to become well-known. Or maybe Gourmand, where you aim to eat new and interesting things, because goblins can eat almost anything, it just doesn't give them energy. Next, you pick an ancestral heirloom for your clutch, and this can be anything, basically. Just anything thematically appropriate. And examples in the book are the bin lid of protection. Nice. The big heavy rock. And the chair leg of bashing. And then you're going to name your first goblin. You don't name any of the others. Just the one that's at the front, basically. Uh, As well as give him a few descriptors, like Fat, Ugly, Welsh, or uh, Bobby Evans. Then you draw your first goblin and decide a voice. Now, you can do this for your other goblins, but it's not a must. And the book says, do it for as many as you can be bothered, basically. So you just draw, give a name to it. And then you've got your ancestor heirloom, all of this shit. So it's very, very simple. I do like the simplicity of it. Yeah, and now you're essentially done with your clutch, right? But then you also determine what type of quest you want to do, what type of uh, uh, what type of quest the whole group wants to do, and uh, do you want to go out murdering, plundering, whatever. Then as a group, you determine what materials you need, how you'll get them, and how you plan to achieve the mission, broken down into three stages. Now, this being a goblin mission, something always goes wrong. So for each stage in the game, you then roll on a table to see what went wrong. And for each stage of the mission, you roll more dice and can choose what goes wrong out of the three you rolled, essentially. So (laughs) you're going to roll on a table, you get three results, and you go, okay, I want this one. And you will decide as a group. So it's kind of like a storytelling game where you will decide what mission, maybe the guy that's running the game will then narrate what happens, this, that, and the other. And there's loads and loads of things that that could go wrong. For example, uh, something important 
something important explodes, gravity is suddenly reversed, or the party is attacked by thousands of ants. Now I won't go into depth on rules for any of the games in this episode, but after the planning you play the game and it works like this. You roll the dice on a table and see do you get an injury, something bad happens, something good happens towards the goal, or victory, meaning that the task at hand is done. Alternatively, there's actually a game mode, James, called Hyper Turbo Goblin Quest. That sounds cool. And uh, essentially, it's the same type of game, but there happens to be an instant death roll or an astonishing victory roll. So it just adds one result on either side of the, the success table. So you, you don't really have any stats, but uh, now what, but you, what you can do is add extra dice by saying, I use my heirloom. I use one of my descriptors. Maybe you've said your goblin is really so it ugly. Kind of, uh, it does encourage people to role play more. It does, but it's not it's not stat based. It's just like okay, you want to use one of your descriptors, add an extra dice to your thing. Uh, uh, you want to use one of your heirlooms, add another one, so you can get like up to three basically. And if you use you know it, it, any of these, um, you might get two good things. So like let's say for example, you use your heirloom, you can get you can kill two enemies or one good, one bad thing. So all rolls have that kind of nuance where it's like. Okay, you rolled uh, a one and a four. So you get something good towards the mission, but something shitty happens at the same time. Maybe you go to hit somebody, you injure yourself. Maybe you go to snatch the gold from beneath the dragon, but your goblin dies at the same time, and you chuck it back to the team, something like that. Now, that's essentially basically the entire game. But uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very uh, rules-light RPG uh, with Grant Howitt's very unique and fun take on goblins. Now, so presumably... Not- it is not designed for a long campaign. No. At all. It's like, it's one shot. It's something that you would pick up instead of a board game, right? Exactly that. And I think, essentially, that now the book is really short, right? Mm. It's a very small book. And it's essentially a one-page RPG, right? But with loads of options with which to play the game. It's like the same circumstances which brought us to play Honey Heist. Oh, yeah. That's where you would play this. Yeah. But the difference is the reason it's in a book and not just a single page on the internet is because it's got shitloads of uh, uh, options for it, right? Um, and it's got like things like quest ideas, alternate tables for like what happens, so you're not always using the same one, and so on, which all have been donated by other game designers and uh, pop up at regular intervals in the book. And it also features, James, a number of rules hacks... For example, uh, space interns, where you you know the you know in uh, uh, Star Trek you've got the guys in the red shirts. Yeah. They're not the main characters, but when something's popping off, three or four of them will die. Yep. So it's that you're not goblins, but you're the red shirts from Star Trek, and that's <coughs> called space interns. Uh, and you have to do all the dirty work for Picard and die frequently. Uh, but there's one of my favourites of no, in fact, my favourite of all time, my favourite game of all time is the rules hack at the back uh, where you play multiple Sean Beans. Because uh, you know Sean, the, the, there's the meme Sean Bean dies and everything. Yeah. So that's the point. So instead of goblins, you're Sean Bean. And there's some fucking great artwork here as well. Um, and confusingly, right, all your characters, it, it actually says you don't need to name them, they're all called Sean Bean. Right? <laughs> so you, you play five Sean Beans at a time, all of which are called Sean Bean. Christmas. Just built my beer, ladies and gentlemen. Back in a second. Winter is coming, and so am I. Ugh. Yeah, and the, the and the cool thing is, you play as all different Sean Bean archetypes, right? From his movies, so you can be Stark Bean, <laughs> uh, Shakespearean Bean, or just Sean Bean. 
That's brilliant. Uh, who's the voiceover and advert Sean Bean? So it's like, you know, um, what is it, Yorkshire Tees? Does he do them? Yeah, he does that. And uh, there's another one, re- I don't know, whatever. But yeah, so you play that guy. That's so you can be dance. the Shakespeare one, you can be Ned Stark, you can be Sean Bean. Yeah, it's fucking cool. Basically, Goblin Quest, great game. Um, I think you can pick it up for like a tenner. Really? Yeah. That's quite nice. It's quite, it's quite a good idea. I, I like the fact that they're trying to purposely branch out. Um, I know there's one-page RPGs and micro-RPGs, etc. But they're trying to make it... Um, a bit more of a product. I mean, it is. Yeah. This, is this is... You play... You get five mates around a table. It's really lore-light, rules-light. It's everything light. Mm. But it's not supposed to be anything more than that. I just... Yeah, I just like the fact that they're, they're trying to appeal to the board game market with the fact that it is designed to it's a party to be game. played like that yeah yeah it's a party game and it's the sort of thing in the same context where you break out charades but you know we've all played that play goblin quest much better <laughs> yeah great game let's talk about dark hold Now, James, I put the I put some of these products in front of you. Uh, Darkhold, we've got here. Darky Monarchy. This is one that we've played before. We kickstarted one of the uh, the adventures to it, uh, and uh, yeah, it's called Darkhold Goblin Adventures to give it its full title by Rebel Minis, which is uh, written by about fifteen people, uh, and which is crazy because it's only seventy pages, but. It came with some of the nicest goblin minis I've ever seen. Now, oh, James, these are the ones that are right here, right? That's the babies. That's them right there. Oh, they have... Um, Just ignore the way I've painted them, because I'm not very good at it. All right? And oh, I've they're got really very well fragile. Yeah, they are. They got, yeah, they, 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 they look really cool. They're really kind of... Um, <clears throat> I like how different they, they are, although they've all got massive noses. Um, yeah, and one of them's got a baby. Yeah, they've got massive noses. Um, and they're consistent with the art style in the book. And, and uh, as I said, it's made by Rebel Minis. So the books are to sell minis, yeah. right? But but they're, but they're cheap and decent products, and I'm, I'm sure I can show you why. The only thing I wanted to just touch on here was um, when my son was born, and we you know didn't know how much room we had for stuff in our flat, I took all of my physical minis and swapped them out for physical idiot uh, I took all of my 3D. 3D minis and swapped them out for 2D ones you know flat plastic ones yeah, flat boy. paper ones all of this and they're pretty awesome I do like how I love them yeah. but I gave my minis to Sean on an extended loan this is what I said right you can use them in your campaigns it's an extended loan right yeah we were all there this is my happened. brother for those that don't know he's, he's a co-host on this although he's not on this one and uh got them back today got my minis back from him they i'm not even fucking around here james there's about 150 that i had missing they're just gone he doesn't know where they are i don't understand how that can be among those right so those goblin minis that you see there for dark hold yeah i had five there's only three and you can't buy them anymore i I, i'm not gonna lie mate i was devastated oh hmm I mean, you gave him a lot of minis, so two... Wait, 3D and 2Ds? Yeah. No, no, just, just my 3D minis. So all of my metal ones, plastic ones, all of this. I mean, it represents about three to four hundred pounds worth of stuff, and, and I've got Ooh. less than a quarter of it back. <laughs> oh. Man, I don't really understand where they could have gone missing. Unless yeah. he's playing with another group that we... 
you know, don't know about. And if I were him, I would be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, be. I'm going to cheer myself up here. Let's talk about Darkhold Goblin Adventures, right? Darkhold. So uh, yeah, it came with some of the nicest goblin minis I've ever seen, uh, once which I've made use of a lot, and also features really fantastic cover art, which is a direct parody of the original advanced D&D art. Just look it up, it's really cool. Uh, wherein some goblins are at the end of a dungeon gathering treasure, taking the jewels out of a giant demon statue. What actually is Darkhold? Well, it's a light setting book for the Savage Worlds system and happens to be the thing that really convinced me on how good Savage Worlds can be. In the setting, you play low-level goblins, right? And the titular Darkhold is the name of a subterranean empire that was once built by dwarves inside the top of a mountain and maintained by their goblin slaves. Now, the frozen shithole-type environment at the mountain caves are way too not livable, for reasons we'll get into in a minute. So the Dwarven Empire perished, and the remaining goblin slaves took over the top two levels, while the lower ones remain un unoccupied. See, the reason the goblins thrive up there is because where the dwarves failed to grow anything on this frozen mountain, the goblins are basically less picky and set up insect farms, mushroom farms, mould farms, and also aren't quite as concerned with workplace safety, because in the depths of Darkhold there are these crystals which can be worked by skilled goblin artificers and used for magic. And while these are really dangerous, goblins are stupid and reckless, and so they wound up achieving what the dwarves couldn't, and set up trade deals with ne nearby human settlements, giving them these magic nuggets in exchange for things they couldn't grow themselves. Mega faggot! The environment is still obviously super harsh, because it's a permanently frozen to fuck mountain and snowbound, and all of the goblins stay near or around the entrances, because going any deeper is always risky. Now, I mentioned that they trade with nearby humans, and it's because the entrance to Darkhold is essentially in a valley in a mountain range. And it's on the lowest parts of the valley that you'll find a human trade settlement, a ruined elf castle, and a haunted island in the middle of a stagnant bog. So, not all the adventures need to take place in the caves. Before we get, uh, that's basically the setting. That is essentially everything that's included in the book. Now, there's an extensive section in this book on characters in Darkhold. And this is mostly advice on how to flavour goblins, right, for... Not not to eat them, but you know, like like <laughs> to how to flavor your goblins when you want to play them in Savage Worlds using the core rules, right? And uh, it's also got you know information on uh, 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 goblin fashion, things like this, uh, and it's it's more traditional than Goblin Quest, right? This kind of scummy goblins you'd you'd expect to play in in fucking D and D, right? Mm. Or fight, not play. Yeah. And uh, it talks about, you know, how they, like, enjoy things to do with farts and shit and, uh, and like, shit for, like, shitting out a fart and fighting out a shit and all yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's the classic goblin shit. And farts. And it, it, even, <laughs> it even includes detail about goblin sports, like tug of war, right? But instead of just tug of war, in the middle is a pile of shit and farts. <laughs> well, it says sewage, but, you know, I put two and two together. A pile of farts. <laughs> anyway... Um, yeah, it's it's more of what you would kind of expect from this type of thing, but I think it's done with loving, loving amounts of detail and humour. And uh, my favourite part is the section on goblin food and drink. And this is what it says. It says that goblins, when on the move, will take the bladder of a dead animal, fill it with all sorts of old shit and mouldy crap, then leave it tied to their belt for a few days where it'll ferment inside the bladder, and then they eat it. So that's Straight nice. Up, just eat it. Yeah, just eat it. Like just imagine. Oh, imagine was, a breath on that. Do you have um? Do you have a food recycling bin, James? Yeah. Imagine that inside the bladder of a dead animal. You know when you empty it sometimes and it is mouldy as fuck. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's a bit. It is like. Right. Yeah. Imagine that. That's what they eat. But instead of fermenting in your nice recycling bin, it's in a bladder. 
That's fucking nasty. It's f- uh, well, is it though? Not for that. Because it's no. their culture, and you're being racist. <laughs> I'm being goblinist. You're being racist, fam. <laughs> Humans, they 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 call this meal. Uh, they they don't eat it, but uh, yeah, it's known by other races as a bladder surprise. Oh, nice. Yeah, and this style of writing is pretty much applied throughout. It's just nice twists on known goblin things. Like, we all know they eat any old crap, but the book just kind of brings it to a new sort of hideous height. Is the best <laughs> I, I do like it when they do that, though. Yeah, because it's like, okay, we, you know, we expect this, but like, they've made me feel actually sick, and that's that's <laughs> got to be that's got to be something in it. Uh, and yeah, I think it's basically a classic style is what the game is going for, and it achieves it. So I like these sections quite a lot. Anyway, as for new gamey character options, the magic crystals are basically the biggest innovation of the Savage Worlds character options. So starting characters can choose the arcane background Crystal Apprentice, allowing them to use them. And this is basically unlike any arcane background from Savage Worlds that I've seen before. It's linked to agility rather than any of the smart space things, and uh, revolves around quickly carving up a gem and imbuing it with one of your three starting powers. And that's different. It's nice. And bear in mind that there are no restrictions on powers for this background, so go wild. You can do anything from healing to teleportation. The way it works is that uh, with a regular success, you make a flawed crystal. And with a raise, which is like the Savage Worlds version of a crit, you'll make an unflawed one. And with a failure, you just fail. But with a crit fail, you make a badly flawed one. And anyway, these flaws are where the fun comes into it because uh, there are both minor flaws and serious ones. And these are subdivided into physical, mental and magical. And they're rolled in secret by the GM. So, if you make a blast spell crystal, that gives uh, uh, that gives you something you can chuck at a bad guy to do an area of effect attack. But if you roll some minor flaws, right, you don't know what the flaws are. You know you failed. You know it's probably a shitty gem, but you don't know what's going to happen. I quite like that. I love it a lot, man. So it's like there's always that risk. Yeah, the thing you've made is going to work. But you chuck it and you're in big trouble. You can really fuck it to the point where it'll fuck you right back when you throw it. So that'll be horrible. Yeah. So uh, you've got so that, in the example I, I I mentioned, like a blast spell, right? You chuck it at a bad guy, it's going to blow some shit up. But if you roll some minor flaws, you might end up chucking it and suddenly have your face magically rearrange itself, so your eyes are on the back of your head or your <laughs> mouth is on the top of your head, or become delusional or paranoid or, as the book puts it, Dane Bramaged. <laughs> it's nice isn't it it's nice That's good. but the serious ones right they include long term injury or having your agility and all agility based skills reduced to a d4 permanently fucking hell man that's yep. savage or what? one called pain broadcaster where if you take a wound the pain is broadcast to everyone within 30 feet and they all throw spirit or become shaken oh that's fucked up that's really I'll all tell you what that's all a... you're trying to do is one simple healing roll on your mate you get that and you fuck him you no, fuck really them, like, forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like the fact that they've hacked it to do these new um To really fuck... Because, do you know what I'm sick of? Players. Yeah. Always giving me shit. Always oh, Harrison, like, why'd you kill my character? Oh, Harrison. Always, like, you know, solving the puzzle without doing Solving a puzzle. Anything. Having a go at me, right? Having the balls to have a go at me because I fudge rolls behind my screen. How dare you? Yes. <laughs> or a magical flaw, for example... Get a magical floor on one of these, it turns all of your gear into something wild, including sponge cake, wood, or dirty cutlery. <laughs> so, you chuck it, suddenly all of your armour turns to cutlery and just falls onto the floor. Or everything you own, Imagine not that. even just your armour. cake. It turns all of your gear into cake. That's fucked up. 
fucked up. It'd be nourished for a good. Now, bear in mind, a lot, a lot of these adventures, James, they take place with like diving down into caves, uh, and and like going deeper and deeper, and and like going further away from your home into dangerous places. You could be right at the end, boss, at, uh, of an adventure, and suddenly all everything you own turns to cake. How fucked would that be? You'd just be like, all right, well, it's been a good game, guys. <laughs> yeah, just get up and leave. Uh, now, the book uh, actually includes a couple of new edges, too, which are kind of like feats from D&D if nobody plays Savage Worlds. Uh, you'll like this one, James. Disgusting Spew, for example. Yeah. It's an edge which allows your goblin to use the feculent contents of their stomach as a weapon and chunder up blinding, damaging acid at any point. Any Imagine point. What? Um, and there's another called Lucky Item, which means you can take any normal item and declare it to be your lucky item, and it will never break during normal lose use. Ah, oh, that's really cool. And if I may offer a suggestion, shield. Oh, yeah. Or Always. armor. Although, then it might still get turned into cake. Ah, uh, that's true. Because it will never, it'll never break. It will never break during normal use. Yeah, that's exactly how it's said as well. Fuck's sake. Fucking, that's smart. Fucking, do you know what? Worst game ever. No wonder it took 15 of them to write it, eh? You have to be smart. <laughs> it's smart like that. It's just so smart. Smart worlds, you know. Uh, and uh, that's basically it, James, for main content. 24 pages, no bullshit, all brilliant shit, and a great bolt-on to Savage Worlds. It's not that meaty, but it's a pick-up, read in about 10 minutes and get playing sort of thing. No, 24 pages is that, is that section. It's actually 70 It's 70 pages. pages. But, yeah. but the 20 is it, all of the rules and everything are just those and uh, it's pretty cool but it also includes some adventures right including uh, an introductory adventure which the book recommends you play first to get the feeling of the setting and we've played this one before James uh, about six years ago so I'll forgive you if you don't remember it because I don't it's a very very good adventure and the plot is basically this your goblin uh, chief a bloke called Schmeck has gathered all the PCs after a recent thunderstorm which caused part of Darkhold to collapse revealing an as-yet-unseen section of the cave. Schmeck's son, Schmack, went uh, missing during the storm, and uh, Schmeck reckons he's down that new section. So he sends you down to this new collapsed opening to retrieve him. And uh, what's cool is, you know, like in most D&D adventures, they'll say, well, if the players go this different route, then they can, uh, then this will happen, or whatever. And in this, it just says, if, you, if the players refuse to do what Schmeck says, he breaks your legs and chucks you down there anyway. Brilliant. <laughs> which is perfect I mean this is how you've got to treat players they're scum subhuman scum it's a good railroad that is but it work, it's fitting it is right at the beginning of the adventure yeah. I mean if you're running this at a con and somebody said oh shit I'm going to refuse just be like well, fucking break your legs mate oh, and then the player will get up and leave and you're like well good thanks I'm glad uh, a bit of five all of your armour would have turned to sponge anyway you prick <laughs> On the way down, you uh, pass through several levels of the cave structure, including a system of poison pools, where you may end up fighting some blood-sucking winged creatures, or some rock nibblers, which are giant worm leech grubs. And the whole adventure, you have to escort this old mental sage called Drudgers along with you, because he wants to learn about the caves, and uh, Drudgers is a massive liability. Anyway, I won't spoil everything that happens, but the adventure is full of really cool creatures and scenarios, many of which involving vertical dungeon crawling, uh, various exotic moulds. Uh, but the end, uh, the adventure ends with you finding the sun, Schmack, only to find that he's been possessed by an old dwarven ghost who doesn't actually believe he's dead, uh, and he's trapped down there. So... Schmack became possessed after he picked up a magic pick he found down here. So you have to subdue him by making him drop the pick, but you don't want to kill him because he's the chief's son, which I think is a cool way to end the adventure. 
And uh, actually, if you pick up the pick, you can end up using it uh, if you can find out how to get the ghost out of it. So you get a cool magical item that does loads of cool shit. And it's a cool adventure. And there's actually quite a few other ones in there, including a goblin fair with loads of different events. One about trying to get the best pig you possibly can for an event for the chief. And like, yeah, there's a lot of cool shit in there. There's also a mini bestiary in the back, which includes a bunch of new enemies. And the most notable one is a new species called the chrysline. I feel like we played the one where you had to find the best pig. I think we might have. Because I think, what, do you know when I, when I first ran this, I think I ran that first one, then the pig one. Mm. It seems familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But it was a long time ago. And actually, people would have podcasts. They weren't on this, but we spoke about this recently. When Sean was saying he wanted to do an actual play, and he said that he, he wanted to just put the camera in the room while he runs his campaigns. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, not camera, microphone. And um, we talked about, you know, people eating while it's going on. Yep. And he's like, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. We rec- our first ever actual play that was never released on this on this podcast was of the first Darkhold adventure, and it got ruined because Sean was eating very close to the mic. Ugh. So uh, you know, a little <laughs> bit of three uh, T behind the scenes trivia for you there, listeners. Anyway, Darkhold is overall a fantastic product, and while it was essentially a small product intended to shift the minis, those minis aren't necessarily uh, uh, not aren't necessary to enjoy the game. And unfortunately, this is out of print now, but the PDF is a tenner on the Rebel Minis website and it's really worth every penny if you want a classic-feeling goblin setting with bags of cool flavour and a cool magic system. James? Yeah, it's out of print now, because you got it. I, I did. I actually, uh, it was a listener of the show, Gary McCallum, who sent me that one. Oh, he's a cool very guy. Very nice guy. Um, but yeah, what do you think of Darkhold? Well, I just like the fact that they've um, they've hacked it in a really interesting way. Like, it's not your typical, uh, here's some new edges and hindrances and all that kind of jazz or his trappings of exactly what you could have done uh, with the core product anyway if you just had a slight bit of imagination mm-hmm. they've actually sort of hand fed some like properly interesting like parts i think that magic system is is just a really nice injection into any savage yeah. worlds I mean, yeah. you could put it in anything, but like in in this particular case, like I lo- I also like there's a spell casting thing that uses agility because you just yeah. don't see that enough. Um, yeah. And I'd like the fact that the, the um, repercussions, like you're not aware of it because I mean, to be honest, if you actually think about it, that is exactly what would happen. Yeah, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be like, oh yeah, you fluff it up so you know that um, you know that when you're going to backfire yeah. or whatever, because otherwise you just bin it, right? Yeah. this is oh yeah you've done it um, you don't know what the result's going to be because that gamble it could just be oh you become paranoid for an hour yeah no, that's fine or Basically. like oh yeah like a poof of smoke comes out and then you're but it's going to add twists to like any encounter yep. yeah say you find some wolves and you just go do I risk it probably not keep it in your pocket get to the big bad well I'm going to risk it now oh shit everything I own is done to cutlery <laughs> And that, that's one of the better ones in that particular that case. Is. But yeah. Imagine if it's, it'll be quite a lot of cutlery. Well, it said it was dirty, so maybe it'll have some diseases in it. That's bit the food, best possible f- outcome. Uh, well, and also, the bad guy's going to try and leg it. Uh-oh. Look cutlery. what's in your way. A cutlery avalanche. Especially <laughs> if you've got a lot of gear. Yeah. So I think maybe best tactics for this game. Get high strength. Get a massive encumbrance, right? Because <laughs> what you want is to have loads of gear. Because <laughs> the thing is, right? Any bad guy, a little bit of sponge, no problem. But a lot an of sponge, house, a mouse. house of sponge, big problem. 
Very Isn't big. Uh, but yeah, I can recommend this. Um, they we also kickstarted a supplement for it, and I believe they're still making supplements for it. Uh, that added duck men into the game. Don't know why, but oh, it's a cool yeah. addition. You've got the minis for it, which are also very nice and really well detailed. Bloody well did. I forgot about that. That was ages ago. Yeah, that was another one. We well, we meant to actual player, didn't we? We and were going to actual player, but we also yeah, we were actually going to actual player that yeah, because we, we yeah, but we never did. There's so many ideas on the cutting room floor. Like we were going to do. This was in the very early days. We were going to do a live stream on Chatterbait. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> but we, I'm kind of glad we never did that. But uh, it's Nick's favourite website. It isn't. I'm a dragon riding a dragon that shoots other dragons. Yeah, let's talk about Goblin Slayer, shall we? Goblin, Goblin, Goblin. You know, to switch gears for a second here, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about Goblin Slayer, the RPG. Because and and for those of you that hate anime, don't switch off just yet because this is probably a fair bit different to what you might expect. And look, I hate anime, you know, because I'm not a fucking child. I'm not a fucking you know. I'm not a fucking weeb, you know. I'm a weeb. Yeah, same. Uh, but for those who don't know, Goblin Slayer is a series of Japanese light novels taking place in an unbelievably dark fantasy universe. And on a basic level, the books revolve around a place called the Guild, where people accept jobs and do quests and shit, and people earn medals made of different materials which denote their rank as an adventurer. I know you think it sounds boring, right? But what if I tell you, uh-oh, somebody gets raped? Then it's no longer boring. That's not boring. You've piqued my interest. There's one thing that that isn't. My green ears are pointing up. Now, look, all right. All right, okay. Anyway, one day, right, uh, the the main character, who is simply referred to as Priestess, bowls into a town and accepts a job with other porcelain-ranked people. And the mission, you know, simple. Clear out a nest of goblins, and a lot of them reckon it will be easy, but what they don't count on is the ferocity and retard strength of a pack of annoyed goblins. And additionally, the goblins know their caves super well and set up an ambush, so the whole mission goes to fuck really quick, ending with the fighters' innards being dug out by a group of goblins. Uh, the martial artists being beaten to fuck out of, then, then, then raped, right? I know, I know, just look, just kick, stay with me here. It's not that bad. It is that bad. And a mage begging to be put out of her misery as she gets hit with a poison dagger. Mm. And amongst all this fuckery, though, a bloke known as the Goblin Slayer comes into the cave and wipes out the gobbos with extreme prejudice, saving the priestess and even going as far as to brutally hack up a goblin, uh, a group of goblin babies. Yeah, he finds them all cowering in the corner and he just says, um, the only good goblin is a dead one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's brilliant. And the priestess is like, no, but they're babies, they might be good. And, you know, that's the argument people have always yeah. had, you know, in D&D. But they hold a grudge for years, their whole life, in fact. Yes, exactly. They have, they, they even that young can hold a grudge. And I, I, I think it's, look, you know, so it's fun. Really uplifting. Well. But, you know, like, uh, well, I'll get into the rest of it. But we've watched the anime recently, right? Yeah. I've watched the whole first series, but recently, for this episode, you watched the whole anime, right? Yeah, I watched the whole anime and then the film. Do you reckon it maintains that tone throughout? Um, there are small snippets, uh, which I'd like to refer to as downtime, uh, because I, upon this rewatch, yes, please. Um, it reminded me just how close to an RPG the entire thing is. Well, and even in the intro, it's got 
they they say shit like I don't know. It's got shitty, stupid anime lyrics, but it's like roll the dice. Yeah. Well, there's a few intros in some of the episodes, and it stops um, after a little while. But we're saying, oh, you know, just just a little bit of backstory, just saying about the world was created by gods um, who just rolled the dice to pit people against each other, and then eventually um, these races were born and these people were triumphant. Yeah, and it's it's um, it's a brutal it's a brutal fucking thing. Like it's as dark as you get, and 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 you know before. We talk about you know they, they, okay there is a you don't see it all right there is a you scene don't in, see it but they just it, I think it's it, them tearing off her clothes and then and then they're going crazy on her ass yeah and then you just see a close up of her face which is distressed. but look look as a culture mm. right and I'm not saying this is for a bad this is a bad reason but as a culture there's there's very few things we demonize more than sexual crimes right mm. for good reason yeah and. If anything gives you a, uh, a, a reason, reaction. A, a reaction, or a reason to hate the antagonist in in this series, which is goblins, right? Mm. It's something like that. It's oh, rough. Yeah. And look, not to spoil anything, listeners, but uh, later on in the series, it's revealed that the goblin slayer. The reason he keeps accepting these low level quests to wipe out goblins is because his sister, you know, you know. Let's just let's leave it at that. Yeah, his uh, village was attacked. His parents and sister were killed, and he saw it all in front of. Um, he saw it all happen in front of him and it's grim right yeah. but you know you lot out there you like that film Inglorious Bastards and that's about people that exterminated Jews and that's a narrative device to help you really hate the main villain right I think it really paints a picture that you wanted it to because it sets it I know so yeah it's it's, it's not something that you actually see completely but it sets the tone heavily implied as grim as it possibly can. Yeah, I right mean, it's the, the grimmest of the grim. Like it really is dark as fuck. And uh, it, uh, in my opinion, aside from the artwork, it features very little anime cringe. Right? Yeah. Now, now the artwork is bad, and it features a lot of fucking ridiculously gigantic tits. But we'll get into that later. But the books, uh, and indeed the anime, uh, primarily follow uh, Priestess and, and Goblin Slayer as they kill goblins and uh, elevates a monster usually used as cannon fodder for low-level PCs to the main antagonist of a series. And it makes them truly horrific as the goblins and uh, use their sheer stupidity almost like a weapon because they will charge in and huge packs going for hell for leather without concern for their own safety. And once they reach your ass, they're going to fuck your shit right up. And they're also portrayed as crafty, tricky, and cunning, which combined with their ferocity is a dangerous mix. And today, there are 16 light novels in the series, and a manga adaptation which was made of these in 2016, which was then adapted into the anime that we've just spoken about in 2018. Complete with a fucking awesome metal soundtrack. And I would say this is this is the reason... To, like, like the artwork is exactly the fucking same as in the manga, yeah. right? But it, it you've got to watch the series because the fucking soundtrack is absolutely amazing. And I tell you what, I watched the Japanese dub last time I watched this, which is not a dub. But uh, <laughs> then I watched the English dub this time. Yeah. And I really like it. And the, the guy who plays uh, Goblin Slayer, like, you have to remember, you know, cringy anime voice acting... That isn't isn't really as much a thing nowadays as it was. Like if you've watched early Gundam, yeah, like that's horrible. But in this, like, it's cheesy, but it's not cringe, in my opinion. And Goblin say like watching the English one, he sounds a bit like fucking Solid Snake. 
where he's just like, there's no such thing as a good goblin. A bit that's, like um, Geralt really from The Witcher as well. Oh, nice. To the point where I thought it was the same actor, Doug Cockle. Also, another thing I noticed, the meatiest goblin destruction sound effects I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, they're pretty hench. And it's like, they don't... Like, they could they could have overplayed some of the gore in it, but they don't. It is, they don't it, need to. It's done almost because, because it's a revenge story, and everyone likes those. It's almost done to the point where the violence is almost excessive, but not quite. Yeah, and it's kind of like every bit of violence you just accept because you're just like, yeah, well, that's just well, they normal. deserve it. Yeah, they deserve. It. And also, and also, it's sort of to the point where I think the violence is more portrays him being expert in wiping these fucking people out rather yeah. than rather than just being like, I'm going to really torture them. He, it, in the first scene, for example, it's him. He's counting them off. Yeah. Like he knows there's twenty in this nest. So I was going to say, I really enjoyed the way that um, everything that happens. Presumably in the manga as well, because that's one thing I haven't read. I've only watched the anime. Um, but the way that when he every element of it is exactly like an RPG, like every character, they don't have a name. They just have the role that they play. And that's almost like, you know, people complain about, you know, back in the day with uh, old school D&D, where where. where where people almost didn't care about the role playing, they cared about the game to the point where somebody yeah. goes, "Thief, pick the lock." Yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> what they do there. And the fact that when he's killing them off, he counts every single one that he kills. It's beautiful. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the anime is really good. And uh, I've got to be honest. Look, listen, people out there, I I hate anime. It sucks. It sucks, meaty goblin dong. But this one is good and deservedly popular. So in July 2022 very recently we got an rpg made by group sne of all people and if Snee. you group snee man <laughs> if you don't know who group snee are uh, well they're responsible for gurps in japan releasing a huge number of books in the system and uh, publishing the game over there but also did many translations of western games for the japanese audience including Shadowrun, D, mech warrior warhammer fantasy and a bunch of others uh, but perhaps most notably, they were the designers and publishers of Japan's second most popular role-playing game, Sword World, which is second only to Call of Cthulhu right now. Nice. And if you don't know what Sword World is, well, have a listen to our episode called The Japanese D&D, to be enlightened. But quickly, Sword World is a 2D6 RPG system which is set in a world called Forcelia, where three swords appeared from nothing, then created the world, then smashed to pieces, leaving fragments of God's sword all over the planet, and adventurers and evil blokes alike like to search for them. And it's never been officially translated to English, but there is a whole wiki uh, with complete translations on it. But... Goblin Slayer RPG uses the Sword World 2D6 system and is available worldwide, making it the first ever officially translated and published version of Sword World outside of Japan. Amazing. I think it's very good, and and it's a system I like. Um, I won't get into the rules too much, but if you're curious, do listen to the Sword World episode. And uh, to put it very bluntly, it's like D&D, but instead of rolling a D20, you roll 2D6 and try to beat a number, right? And you yeah. add your bonuses. The 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 big innovation. It's not even innovation. It's not even a fucking big deal. But the point is, you also roll two d six for all of your weapons, and you're going to roll on a table, which means that instead of just saying, "Oh, Warhammer does one to eight damage," it could mean on a roll of a one, you get one damage. On a roll of a yes. two, you get six. And I so do on. recall this when we played it. It was so, quite a nice touch to it because you're rolling such a small dice, but the uh, possibility is quite high dependent on means on that what some weapon weapons are more reliable than others yeah. and it, it adds a bit more variety yeah i mean it's uh, it, but it, other than that it's, it's very good 
so we already know about the universe of uh, Goblin Slayer, right? It's, you know, it's raping, it's killing, it's shooting. So let's talk about character options in Goblin Slayer in terms of races. And all the classics are there. You've got Human, Dwarf, Bobbit, Fuzzy, and so on. But you also have Lizard Men as a standard race, which will be no surprise to fans of the anime, obviously, because, you mm-hmm. know, there are Lizard Men uh, all over the place. And these guys start with immunity to poisons, dark vision, and double the normal, normal movement speed. And you also have a new race called Raya. Raya? Do you remember those from the anime? Rhea? Rhea. Rhea? It's a different name for a hobbit, essentially. They're the little guys with the pointy ears. It's weird because Japanese RPGs, they don't ever name a hobbit a hobbit. Neither do Western ones, right? But they never call a hobbit a hobbit because that's, you know, it's Tolkien's. Unless it's Lord of the Rings. It belongs to to him, right? Get off. (laughs) But but Japanese RPGs always name them something weird, right? We've pretty much settled on halfling here in the Western world. But uh, uh, in Sword World, they were called grass runners, which, I don't know, just sounds a bit racist. That sounds quite cute. It does, because oh, I, ima- I imagine, I imagine like a little... <laughs> yeah, that's what I imagined. Just frolicking through a field, <laughs> loving life. Massive feet. But then also, it's, it sounds a little bit like, you know, saying spear chuckers. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Actually, yeah. It's like it's racist. And, you know, hobbits are people too, man. So, so I'm sitting there barbecue sauce on my titties. But yeah, similar to Sword World, you have a bunch of classes, right? And the big thing about these this game is that multi-classing is encouraged. So what classes you can actually use is determined by your background and roles for your character. And weirdly, they're broken down into just, in, in, in Goblin Slayer specifically, just uh, fighters and mages with subclasses in each. And similarly to the books and the anime, there's uh, no reinventing the wheel here. Gone are the gun mage and the wrestler from Sword World. So it's mainly just all the classes you'd expect to find in the fantasy universe, with the exception of the dragon priests, who can use a new type of magic called ancestral dragon arts. But ultimately, this game is kind of similar to Warhammer in that what you kind of do is you dip your toes into a lot of classes as you go based on what you need to make a unique character. And the classes themselves aren't unique, but what you end up with is something unique. Now, a huge portion of the book is rules, and, you know, it's a fantasy RPG, so I won't bother going through it. But let's talk about new spells, right? So I flicked... Now, I, I want to point out right now that during this episode, I we were doing goblin RPGs, right? Yep. And I realised this is one that we really need to talk about, because it's, it's the big goblin game that's come out in the last couple of years. It is. And I'd, I ordered this... Um, when did I order it? Midweek, right? And it arrived Friday. And now we're recording on Sunday. And the size of the book is immense. It's I mean, ridiculous. It's, uh, let me let me have a quickly. It's five hundred pages, mate. Is it five hundred? Yeah, gone, gone. Oh, it's got the index. Doesn't count. Oh, six hundred and fifteen. Christ on a bike. So it's a good thing I already knew the rule system. But yeah, we're not we're not going to go through we're not going to go through the rules because we did that in another episode. But we want to go into some new spells here. So I flicked to the spells section in the book, James, and you're not going to fucking believe this. Well, right in this episode plan, I look at the spells. The first spell I see, I just flick to the page. Create Goblin. Fuck off. Now, this is like if you went into Staples and they didn't have Staples. The game's called Goblin Slayer, not Goblin Maker. <laughs> it's just, it takes the piss, is what it does. Goblin. What, I mean, that is the opposite of what you want to do in this setting. I mean, but... Would you create the Goblin to use Goblin... As, no, actually, no. No, it don't matter. It's Goblin Slayer. If you fucking don't wear your, wear your father, if you lipstick in my Valentino bag, you know what I mean? <laughs> Why would you create a goblin in Goblin Slayer? <laughs> I know. Imagine that. But anyway, hilarious jokes aside, spells are some of the most creative parts of this game, right? Wizard slash sorcerer ones include Other Self, where you make a copy of yourself that you can freely control. So stats and everything, for a good hour, you can create a copy of yourself and have two players on the table at the same time. 
characters. That's mad. I mean, it's broken, but it's fucking cool. Uh, there's one called Gambit, where you can charge up a rock so that it explodes like a grenade when you chuck it. That's pretty hench. There's one called Weathering, where you can rapidly speed up time for a sim- single object, making it just get old and crumble to dust. But, you know, depending on what it is, it could do different things. You use weathering on a bit of food, that's going to mould. Use weathering on a man's oh, face, it's yeah. going to sag. It's going to mould. It's going to it's going to mould, depending on you know. Or uh, my favourite one, James, uh, dance. <laughs> you force an enemy to dance uncontrollably as you sing to them. <laughs> just use spit rhymes that are so dank they that they dance. cannot help but dance. Will they just dance forever at that point? As long as you keep singing. And, you know, if uh, Harry Mack is to be believed, he, he did a, a 12-hour stream where he rapped constantly. Oh, my God, he must have been absolutely fatigued. I can't... Uh, yeah, clearly, right? But if as long as you can rap for 12 hours, you know, stamina rolls permitting, you can keep that fucking goblin dancing for 12 hours. And this is partially why I like Japanese RPGs, because they do get weird with the magic. But mm. um, the miracles for priests are cool too and uh, go beyond the usual smite the weapon, heal the player shit, including being able to transfer any negative status effect over to your character. So uh, if you're on fire, if you're paralysed, if you're blind, you can take it and just transfer it onto you. Which what? is going to make you the hero of the group no matter what. You know, it's, I think that's fucking cool. That's pretty Any intense. status so effect. So you can just decide to absorb other people's ailments. Yep, and keep them fighting. I think that's fucking cool. Or making invisible walls as well as another priest spell. Or oh, that's, asking that's yes. Completely in the uh, the the anime and yeah, and uh, there's one where you can ask yes or no questions directly of your god. So you want to know a clue on uh, something? Just go, dear Lord Jesus Christ, where the fuck is the goblin nest? Uh, oh no, no, that would not work. Is the goblin nest to the west? No. All right, let's rest another day. I'll ask him again. Yeah. I mean, it's broken, but also fun as fuck. Well, broken to a degree, because I suppose, you know, it, there's probably some, like that, North East Southwest for travelling. It's just like... But it's still unspecific enough to where it, I don't think it could break a game. Yeah. But but bear in mind... We could find with some, a way. With something that, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a high-level spell, but also, bear in mind, with something that powerful, uh, if your priest dies, that's a big deal. Yep. So I, I like that type of stuff. I, I I think there's it's a more interesting way of treating clerics. Do you know what I mean? Um, also, you can directly attack someone's willingness to fight. You're in a fight with uh, with somebody and they're really fucking angry at you. You can just go. You you just attack their willingness to fight. They just lay down and die. End of story. That's, they just they will not fight anymore. That is uh, that's pretty fucking sick. Or, or they might walk away, you know. But, of course, um, I, I said earlier, ancestral dragon arts. And this school of magic, predictably, is basically doing dragon shit. And it's mostly used by lizard men, but it can also be achieved by other races under rare circumstances. Basically rolling the right thing on your background. So if you've ever wanted to be a fire-breathing dwarf, this game is for you, mate. And, oh, I mean, you can also turn your arms into wings temporarily and fly around, become amphibious, or imbue your blood with dragon power so that someone who drinks it can use an ancestral art which is weird but cool so suddenly you know you've got this cool power where you can turn your arms into wings you go to one of your teammates and you cut yourself and you go yeah lick that mate well you know this um the, the whole sort of world was completely suited for an rpg and it was must have been written in that way on purpose because oh 100 there's even uh, sections of it where they they're interesting uses for 
like in-game mechanics such as um a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the anime skip forward to 30 seconds um but there's two sections one where it gives people um some rings to allow them to uh, breathe underwater or you know breathe where you necessarily can't breathe properly and then they get avalanched on or potentially avalanched on which means that they would be able to breathe in those circumstances and another where he's sworn where he can't um is not allowed to use any explosions or stuff like that to get rid of goblins because he needs to dispose of them in a better way and then he uses a bag of flour um they're against an eye of the beholder the eye of the beholder has a laser eye the bag of flour is opened up and then it completely explodes the entire uh, room he's in frying himself to death that's beautiful yeah i, I mean interesting uses of spells is like a big theme yeah with this thing, and it's it? just like i really do like how they've sort of painted that in well i mean it might be to impart to this is uh something i didn't put in this review because it was kind of dull but i think it's relevant here is that originally goblin slayer was written as a series of forum posts and then was adapted to in, into a light novel but realistically it was published when the light novel came out but who published it was square enix they published it in their magazine and they're a company that make video games specifically rpgs they made uh, final fantasy and stuff like this so and now make dragon quest so it kind of stands to reason that they put something so gamey into their magazine do you know what i mean mm. um but yeah i mean ancestral dragon arts right uh you know you could turn your arms into wings and and, and things like this but and use all dragon abilities but also like i said fire breathing dwarf the the breath weapons don't just include fire you can go ice fire lightning or poison which is just you know really fun uh so you know you could be yeah an ice breathing dwarf which is just cool as shit now the gear is all typical fantasy ship but with a lot of options and has a little nod to castlevania because the uh, and i won't expect you to find this as cool as i do james but the vampire killer whip is available in the uh, in, in the book That's and for nice. some reason and for some reason <laughs> the uh, the umbrella is a weapon too fuck knows why but I've been avoiding something for a bit, right? We, we touched on this earlier. Uh, and uh, but for all the things this uh, this RPG does incredibly well, the anime adaptations of Godman Slayer would have ridiculously proportioned women. Oh, yeah. And have a lot of annoying se- se- sexualized moments. For a good example, on episode two, right? There's, there's she's a bit waiting where, outside the farmhouse. She's The, the Goblin Slayer's coming. He's, he's checking the farmhouse because he's looking for any collapsed fences, any Goblins, footprints. footprints, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the girl wakes up, the farmhand, and she goes, she goes oh, the, the sun is so good on my skin on these days. And she goes over to the window to see Goblins there, perching her enormous breasts that are twice the size of her head on the side of the window. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. And that's what makes it so great. 10 out of 10. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Would watch again. And I think, James, this is why in the armour section they include the bikini armour, which is the equivalent of wearing a helmet to avoid getting hit in the legs <laughs> and is really stupid. So I had the light novel, right? Yep. I ended up still drawn there. I, I gifted it to a mate for his birthday. And the first thing he did is he's, it, there's, some, there's some pages in there where they've got full colour artwork and he flips open there's just tits. <laughs> it's mad tits all day all uh, the trouble is I don't yeah, but think not it, bare tits they're just hench they're massive yeah. no but I mean stupidly big 
Like, almost every anime I've ever watched has included tits in it. But uh, to some extent. But these are, this, it's the size of them that's ridiculous. I would say that, fortunately, overall, they're not like a main staple. There's like no. two times where they're used... Um, where you it's supposed to be this incredibly dark anime but you actually laugh yeah 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 yeah. i think they use like that and then there's there's one where there's the witch as well and then one where it's the sword princess but that's it so it's i don't think it's that good that i don't think it detracts from it yeah they're they're not focusing on them i think it's just they just decided to whack the anime trope yes i feel like people need to know this because uh yeah when they open the book and they go oh yeah bikini armor and then immediately close it i just i look the rest of it is really good i promise and it's not the reason i enjoy it i enjoy it for the story yeah and the and the and the and the rpg uh, anyway, the last few. Th- yeah, it's very titillating. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the last few boobs uh, things to mention are the uh, starting tits adventure, which involves a baby being kidnapped by a wandering gang of goblins. The PCs track the gobos to an, unaba- uh, to an abandoned warehouse on a hill and have to suffer through a bunch of vicious fights with goblins wielding kitchen equipment, fireplace pokers, and shit to save this kidnapped baby. Disappointingly, though, James, at the end of the adventure included in the book, if the PCs survive, they find the baby unharmed. And I can't help but feel if the RPG was more authentic to the source material, the PCs would come in and see the baby between two slices of bread with, like, a goblin chewing into it. <laughs> well, yeah, at least a bit of it dismembered, like... Yeah, yeah, like... A it's, couple it's, fingers gone. Maybe seen a foot or a yeah. leg. Yeah. Or maybe he's deep-fried it. Yeah, made it a bit armless. Um, but still, it's a good starter adventure. Now, the bestiary, it does feature quite a few goblin types, of course, but also features just about every other normal monster you'd see in any other fantasy RPG. So, James, as you may have noticed so far, this game is about playing in the universe of Goblin Slayer rather than playing a Goblin Slayer. Mm. After all, Goblin Slayer himself is just one guy in a vast universe, which, uh, in, in a universe you know, where lots of different stuff is happening. So, it's understandable. And this book even contains another adventure which doesn't concern goblins at all, almost as if it's doing the typical D&D thing of quickly moving on from the little green fuckers when you hit level 2. So what makes this game worth playing over, say, D&D? Well, the Sword World system is a decent one, and the Goblin Slayer universe is good enough, but there's not really actually any point in using this book, because other than having new races and and, and lore-friendly backgrounds, um, it's, it's a fantasy RPG. Yeah. The un- what I will say this I-, I wanted to try the sword world system for a long time and everyone at our table likes Goblin Slayer and I own the box set and all the gear for sword world so this this Goblin Slayer RPG will probably get played because it's a decent RPG it's just that what I kind of expected now I don't know if I'm being a cunt here and I'm letting my expectations I, I do like the game I want to point that out but the the thing is it's I expected it to be maybe like uh uh, you know, a, a chapter on goblin nests and different ways they might manifest, and the times uh, and, and circumstances yeah. under so which they might attack. To give you a bit of a... the insight as to what goblin slayer, slayer in the in the light novel, etc., has learned, so that you as a GM can apply all of that. Like to make a game, a campaign about goblin slaying. Yeah, that's kind of what I expected. A lot of people are going to pick it up and want to do that. I mean. It's it's interesting because the book is so thick, like six hundred and fourteen pages, whatever it is, 
um, chapter two is the basic rule section, which is over. It's about 110 pages or more, which is yeah. pretty pretty great that they've chucked that in the middle. Listen, of it. I I think I think it is a great game and a fine alternative to D and D. I mean, it basically p- plays very similarly. But the thing is, it's like the. It, 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 what I expected was for it to do it, was it to be dark and similar to the anime and maybe be more about goblins themselves but it, it, it isn't I yeah. do however think that there's two things that will really really sell this to people and it's the, it's two things first of all it's the first publication of Sword World outside of Japan right yeah. and it's a good fucking game and an interesting game with a cool setting um, and also it's £8 yep. see, see the thing is Japanese role-playing games, what they do is they uh, publish them in the same manner normal books get published. So this is normal book-sized. It's 615 pages, whatever, yeah. but it's uh, it costs well, the same as a normal book. Well, here you go. In, in, in US dollars, currently 20 So So $20, yeah. right? That's they you would you would you couldn't buy the player's handbook for D and D for that amount no. of money. And this is literally everything. I think to to an extent and I don't. And this is supposed to be a positive episode, but I do think to an extent it fails as a goblin RPG, but just as an it RPG, as a it's, fantasy uh, RPG. yeah, it's just a good. It's a good fantasy RPG set in that universe. The unfortunate thing, it doesn't concern the same thing that the anime does. No, I kind of feel like um, not that they. Well, no, fuck it. They missed the mark on this one. They no, but they they did a little bit in terms of what they put in there like I really wanted a detailed setting about a one specific type of enemy because think about um, yeah well, that's precisely but it is good it is good it's just the trouble is it's not it's not what you would necessarily want from it but that's precisely what the um, light novel etc is about is about the goblins and the fact that you know there are footmen and there are shamans there are uh, well what I like is is even in the first episode where he says there's a hobgoblin in one of the caves and he says Oh, they must have hired it, and it's so it's already like that little bit of background. Like, like maybe it would have been cool to go into detail about the relationships between yeah. them and other races, goblin and, lords and shit. And there's yeah. even um, there's even bits where they have got orcs on the side of goblins. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, in terms of what I wanted from it, disappointing, but actually a good game. It's just in terms of what we're talking about today, goblin games fails a little bit. My sincere apologies. I need to go for a piss. I just don't want to catch him in bed with a goblin. But if he's in there rolling around hacking him up and he's got a goblin guide, you know, taking him into the cave, I'm not expecting him to not get dirty. All right, James. All right, let's 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 fucking let's fucking real talk at the moment, right? Because let's be honest, this whole thing, I'm tearing. I, look, I'm going to tear down the fucking. No, we're wall. just going to tear down the the eighth wall. And and let's just just be fucking honest with you guys out there. All right, reason we, we, did we don't we go and give a fuck about any other goblin RPGs except the one we're about to mention. Yeah, I mean this has all just been a ploy just to keep keep you keep you waiting, keep you waiting, and also you know like we have to, to pretend we're impartial for a minute. Do you know what I mean? Like like we yeah. re- like like I've got to be honest. I don't even like RPGs except for the one we're about to mention. Yeah, I mean I don't even like. It. I mean I watched the entire anime and film before this podcast and uh, I didn't enjoy it he didn't, he didn't like it no he doesn't even own a TV no and so, you know I had to watch it on one of those old Nokia 3310 so it was just pixels. very picture and and let's be honest for huge parts of it it might have just been Snake the game it might have been but, but it's a level I mean, 90 I, look let, we're talking about the big boy right it's daddy cum fash it's the one with the large penis energy it's your boy 
A Saga of the Goblin Horde by Richard Woolcock. My name's Richard Woolcock, and I like all things mean. Bug bears and goblins and all things green. Sitting on your chair trying to have a little lean. I'll tip it back, then I'll laugh, then I'll flee from the scene. Cause I'm mean, and I'm evil, and I'm really bloody keen. To share this with the world, my favourite bike was even green. I like goblins cause I sympathise with guys like Breen. So when you see me coming on my bike, you better flee. Now, look, during the early days of the podcast, we never shut the fuck up about Saga of the Goblin Horde, but I realised recently we, we never actually ended up reviewing it, because we're fucking idiots, and uh, so let's not fuck about, James, let's take a look. So first of all, right, the way this game, Saga of the Goblin Horde, I just want to mention that again, you know, uh, go to sagaofthegoblinhorde.com forward slash 3TRPG and get your discount today. The way it sets itself apart from Goblin Quest and Darkhold is that it's not necessarily about playing low-level goblins and has a lot more scope for campaign play. One of the main reasons being that while the universe of Saga of the Goblin Horde it does include the uh, cannon fodder type of goblin minion, that isn't who you play. Instead, you play goblin bosses. Yes, mate. That's the characters you play, and uh, not tribe leaders, for now anyway, but team leaders with a few minions in their retinue. And... Uh, We'll get into how this stuff works in just a minute, but let's take a quick look at the setting of... Uh, well, it's called Saga of the Goblin Horde, but just for sake of ease, I'm going to call it Sotka. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, take a look at the setting of Sotka. And I'll read a bit of text from the game here. Beyond the border of human lands, goblin tribes fight aggressively to protect their territory, both from each other and rival races and Bobby Evans. Until recently, they've only had to contend with beast folk and ogrekin, but now the tribes are facing a bigger threat, humans. Although there are also countless smaller tribes and independent bands, most of the territory is claimed by the six biggest tribes, Redfang, Ice Runner, Night Swan, Bone Digger, Longknife and Stonefist. Individuals from other goblinoid breeds can also be found among the tribes, but they're much rarer than the common goblins. So, yeah, it's about warring tribes, it's about gobos, it's about sub-goblins. So you have various tribes of goblins you can be a part of, and amongst these, the game also allows you to play other quote-unquote goblinoid races. And, and, and I've got to be honest with you, Richard has used this term very loosely. So uh, the races you can play in this game include bugbears, regular goblins, gremlins, half-goblin, half-humans, and hobgoblins. These lads are all going to be part of one of the six tribes that take up the borderland area this game takes place in. So you've got the, uh, in terms of tribes, you've got the bone diggers, right, who are led by necromancers, and as such, many of its rank include undead goblins. You've also got the Longknife tribe who inhabit a vast network of caves. Uh, these guys are sneaky fuckers who don't favour direct confrontation. And there's the Ice Runners who are mutated ice-type goblins. And while the game gives six factions, there are many other minor ones too, allowing you to add in your own ones as you see fit. And one thing worth noting is that of the major tribes, the smallest has around 6,000 members. So this explains the need for hierarchy and the players being bosses of individual gangs uh, in what is a relatively vast army. So that's the campaign setting in a nutshell. Loads of clans vying for power, all of which are threatened by shitty humans. James, are you in? I'm fully in. You loving it? It's about time we played the Green Men. Mm-hmm. Because all those other games, like I would, I would play them. But let's be honest, I wouldn't play them. Exactly. You know what I mean? There's right? only one game I want to play. There's only, there's only one fucking thing I want to do right it's now. Sotka. It's hot good. Let's talk character options. So Sotka uses Savage Worlds as its rules basis, right? I know we go on about it all the time, but shut your fucking mouth. 
similarly to uh, Darkhold, but while Darkhold sticks closer to core and is much smaller and is a less transformative product, Saga of the Goblin Horde is a bit more comprehensive, and that's not a knock on Darkhold, both games just serve different purposes. Anyway, the races, as I've mentioned earlier, are Bugbear, Gremlin, Goblin, Half Goblin, and Filipino. <laughs> and if you play a bugbear, for example, you get bonuses of, to strength and increase of size, of course. But the drawback is, because bugbears have widespread reputation for loving, torturing, maiming, and raping, and shooting, whenever the GM rolls randomly to determine hu- who a human will attack, bugbears are twice as likely to be targeted. Double me. Additionally, like all goblinoid races, they begin with a free d6 in stealth, dark vision, and a minus four for charisma when dealing with humans. And of course, you play uh, you can play a plain ass goblin in this setting, and they begin with a bonus to agility, survival, and are also smaller by one size rank, which can make them harder to hit, but means they have a negative modifier to toughness. Lastly, in races, let's look at the gremlin, right? Because that's uh, not a race you see in anything outside of Gremlins from Gremlins or Sodka. Sogta. 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 It's funny because we're doing jokes from um, Face Jacker, innit? Phone Jacker. Yes. But worse. Ready for the hood. <laughs> I was listening to one recently. He's doing a podcast where he's doing ones like that. And you know the NHS. Yeah. And he calls up some nurse. <laughs> I need to speak to the nurse. And I was like, <laughs> a nurse? And he's like, no, the nurse. <laughs> very good. Very, it's very funny. Very high-minded. Anyway, gremlins. To quote the book, uh, they say, while they resemble goblins physically, gremlins tend to be more intelligent and destructive, and most of them have a passion for mechanical devices. And as such, they begin with a bonus to smarts and a bonus to repair, but suffer similarly in the size department. And I'm not just talking about wangs. Next up, though, the book gives us new hindrances. And for those not in the know, these can be taken by a PC to allow them extra choices somewhere else in character creation. And the ones provided in Sogtu are very good. You have Compulsive Cannibal, where you will eat, and this may seem familiar to you James uh, eat other goblinoids when hungry and have to roll to resist which means that your minions that work under you really have their days numbered more so than normal right yes mate because they look tasty well they are they are and they're your minions so if you want to eat them then they're fucking better get themselves cooked listen I eat my fucking minions yeah you also have pungent where you stink real nasty and suffer penalties to stealth because people can smell you coming or how about slime bait where your character is followed and hunted by dark slimes who will occasionally try to murder you. There is also the tasty hindrance, which is kind of the opposite to pungent. Your character both smells and tastes delicious, meaning that your character, will, it, it, when your character is incapacitated, other players will automatically want to eat you. And now you, the 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 the, the important thing here is that they can choose to resist to eat you. So all the other player characters, they have to choose to not want to eat you. <laughs> if if they if they want to chow down, they can. Uh, and a quick note here: if you can't tell, cannibalism in Saga of the Goblin Horde is normal, but the compulsive cannibal hindrance is mostly that you just struggle to not do it at any time, even when you're not even hungry. Um, and there's loads more hindrances, and they're all amazing, obviously. But you know, I ain't got all fucking day, and Richard saw fit to uh, saw fit to put like six million in this book. Of course, there are good new lad. edges. He's a good lad. He's a good boy. Of course, there are new edges too, and there's also shitloads. Uh, uh, so, shine a quick spotlight on a couple here. Uh, the background edge, Warfist. Well, you have one giant arm, meaning you can wield a two-handed weapon with one hand with no penalty. 
and also get plus two damage if you use your huge arm to wield a one-handed weapon, which is fucking cool. Uh, there's also the combat edge Savage Maw, uh, where your mouth is a natural weapon, inflicting strength plus D4, and on a raise, which is the Savage World's crit, as we mentioned earlier, you automatically attack their least armoured location. And let's be honest... It's going to be the nuts. It's going to be the penis. So well, earlier on, right when James said "goblin these nuts," exactly, it was actually a very clever foreshadowing of what we're talking about now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In it, James. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'll build up to this. This point. is what the. Oh. This is the dad of all goblin games. Yeah, it's the daddy. It's the big dick energy. Uh, it's the big Richard energy. So there's also a new type of edge called a mutation edge, which really allows more customization within the five races available. For example, you can get the Canitor edge, where you're a centaur, right, James? But instead of being half man, half horse, you're half goblin, half dog. That's pretty good, though. Meaning you can move faster and you can jump gooder, which is a word, but uh, of course you become shit at climbing. But the weird edges are some of the coolest. For example, Slime Charmer, where you can control dark slimes, or Rat Lover, where you can substitute your goblin minions for swamp rats. And uh, control more minions than usual because you know rats are much more plentiful. But my favourite has to be the psychonaut edge, and I feel like we've played with this one before where somebody's used it. But your goblin can use magic mushrooms to gaze into the future. Once per session, at the end of a turn, you can just redo your entire turn, meaning that your first go was just a premonition. So if a turn went really badly, it was just a glimpse into a shitty future that you decided against doing. Now, in terms of magic, the game utilizes miracles, psionics, superpowers, and weird science, meaning that you have wizardy magic, psychic shit, and uh, clerics, obviously, but also superpowers grant your goblin a single power that they can use, but with a higher pool of points to play with. And weird science is a trapping for powers where the quote-unquote spells you use are all uh, inventions. So, this one is well-suited to gremlin characters. Um, So those are essentially your character options. Uh, It's core Savage Worlds, but with a great deal more setting-appropriate options for race and build. But setting rules, James, let's talk about these. Uh, These are unique rules embedded within Savage Worlds settings to help differentiate the setting from core. But one big one is, of course, what Richard Walcott calls lack of boss. The characters in this game are goblin bosses, as we've mentioned, uh, which means that each player character is the leader of their own gang within their tribe and start with a number of minions equal to half their spirit score plus one rank. And if you don't know Savage Worlds, it uses a dice chain mechanic. So if your spirit is D8 you'll start with five minions. That's banging. It's fucking great. And all these minions sh- share a default stat block, and they're pretty loyal to their boss, and usually don't make trait rolls during the game, except during combat. This does... And I'm sure you remember this from Savage Gone, right? Mm. Now, we were very lucky. We're very lucky boys. Because Richard Walcott came to England, and he invited us to his hotel room. And he gave th- us look, a bit I'm of his- just his no, goblin horde well he well it wasn't quite <laughs> like that the way I remember it was that he he challenged us to a wrestling match right and obviously you know you've got to get oiled up yeah. you've got to get oiled up got to do it in a little uh, and look talk. I am ashamed to say because you know I'm straight as an arrow you know but I am ashamed to say that as we were wrestling a part of me entered him yeah and but other than that, we did play, well. We did play Saga of the Goblin Horde. Yeah, yeah. He, and we played. He, you know, we had our boss characters, we had the minions, and it does end up with fights. You know, taking slightly longer. 
the thing I will say is it's worth noting that extras in Savage Worlds, which is anyone who is in a main character, only has what has to take one win before dying. So also all of the goblin character, all of your minions have a fairly limited pool of abilities. It's just notice and fighting. And I like Maybe the fact still. that you can um, you can just chat them in front of a wound. Uh, well, this is what I was going to get to. So the next setting rule is meat shield. Yes, mate. What this means is that once per round, any character can spend a Benny, which is basically a reroll token, to redirect the damage to any adjacent allied goblin extra. Now, this is a rule I didn't know, James, even those belonging to another gang. So if my goblin's next to some of your minions, I can yeah. use one of your minions. Are you? Really? Yeah. I, 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 literally a rule I, that had completely gone over my head until recently when I reread it. So <laughs> uh, a lot of the time, you'll be using your poor minions to absorb absorb huge hits. And I saw this rule once used to hilarious effect, if you recall this, James, where two player characters got in a fight and were slinging spells at each other, all of which happened to be crits, all of which also got absorbed by they minions <laughs> as the bosses picked one, one up after another and just uh, hid behind them. And it was fucking amazing. You do get new minions when your ones die, but they're usually replaced between adventures. So they're a resource there to be spent. Now, there's a couple of other setting rules, including one for quick skirmishes, which in a game that will frequently include uh, battles involving more than 20 participants, is very welcome. But I won't go into those rules now because I can't be bothered. I have crippling depression. James, do you remember shenanigans? Yeah. So in Savage Worlds, right, you get bennies, which are reroll tokens, and these can be earned in a number of ways, but Saga includes a new way to do so. At the beginning of any scene, if you have less than five bennies, you can earn one by invoking shenanigans. And essentially, you draw a card, and this determines what one of your gang members has been up to, and it's usually something bloody stupid that might land you in trouble. And to give some examples, if you draw a five, your minion accidentally stabs you for 2d6 damage. So we're talking about the beginning of the scene. Something that the GM goes, you enter the cave and you go, fuck, I haven't got enough bennies. What if we encounter something? Draw five and just, you goblins, just your your mate's just not even a mate, a minion has just tripped up and stabbed you in the anus. But that's two d six damage, and then uh, that could explode, and you could just die. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about. Yeah, because in Savage Worlds, you roll the highest number on any dice, you roll it again, you add it up. Yeah, that could kill you quite easily. <laughs> But that's the risk you run, man. Or maybe, right, there's another one. Uh, did something remarkably stupid and uh, and they die instantly. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's come up I've definitely times. seen that one, yeah. yeah. So And it's in an embarrassing manner. Or maybe there's another one there. Loyalty has reached an end and they want to become the boss. So now they get the drop on you, which is plus four to attack and damage and will fight you to the death. That's fucking outrageous. So, yeah, you get a Benny... But to survive that, you're going to probably have to spend about three, right? Because <laughs> fuck the 2d6 damage. Oh, that's going to kill you. Oh, that, that could kill you. But yeah. now he's doing 2d6 damage per round and he's fucking really annoyed. And he's got the drop. That attack is more likely to kill you. But yeah, it's easy to earn a Benny, but the consequences can be a real pain in the old rear. Exactly like when, you know, Richard and I had that wrestling match. What's cool is, too, that with some uh, vaguer ones, you can narrate the way in which your goblin dies or fucks up or whatever. So when he says dies in an embarrassing manner, mm. the GM goes, right, how does he die? And you can narrate it, and that's part of the fun. You earn a Benny for telling a funny story, everyone laughs, <laughs> and then uh, you, get <laughs> you get a new Benny. Do you know what I mean? It's good. He's like, oh, yeah, he got really hungry, and he started wolfing down, and he chucked a croissant. Stop! <laughs> you nearly made me drop my croissant. 
but he did drop his croissant and his own life. He's yeah. dead. Yeah, anyway, after this, you have a gazetteer detailing the setting, and it's really fucking good, and all of that. And, and you know, I probably should go into loads of detail here, but I'm not going to. It's really fucking good. But the book also contains a plot point campaign, uh, which is essentially just a campaign broken down into sessions. And this is without a doubt one of the best ones out there, con- uh, consisting of ten episodes. Amongst these, there's an episode which consists of uh, setting up a cave of traps for unsuspecting humans, Home Alone style. There's a tavern crawl, a football episode with new rules for playing what it calls kickball, and even an orc pirate-based episode. Anyway, the game comes with some handy tools like an adventure generator, forest cards for randomising forest crawls, and a random ambush cards. Uh, and uh, now... I will say this, all of the games we talked about today, with the exception of Goblin Slayer, there is just one difference with this one, right? Uh, it's clearly a bigger package than yeah. Goblin Slayer or Dark Hole. Well, it's, it's, it's got a lot more out there. It's got everything. It's got all the edges, it's got lot. all the hindrances, a lot of stuff, whole campaign, whole setting. And I'm not saying it's better or worse than any of the others we talked about today. They all have their place. But obviously, Saga of the Goblin Horde, the trouble with it, James, is it's going to set you back a few quid. Yeah, loads, mate. That's the. Hold on a minute. I'm just looking on the uh, drive for RPG hit. It says it's free. Uh, it says it's free. Yeah, it's free. Completely free. Hold up, but the presentation is like so nice and and professional. Hang on, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna refresh that. Yeah, it's free. What the fuck? What the fuck? The the main the main book itself is free. The archetypes are free. The. Uh, 3T archetypes are also free. So everything for this game is free and it's better quality than basically most products out there today. That's because it's Richard Cox. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Hold on, Richard Wilcox. That was an actual accident. Richard though. Wilcox, beautiful. Right, you're mind. so James. You're so immature. <laughs> you're so immature. I look. I was talking about earlier when him and I had a man-to-man contest to see who could wrestle the other one better in a shower naked. Mm. Right, and now you're talking this rubbish. You make me sick. Anyway, right, it's well fucking good. And yeah, it happens to be free. Yeah, this is Smoke on the Black Tier. Respect to all my goblins. We all came out to Darkmire. Where's that? On the Black Tier Lake Shore Line. All right. To make camp with a tribe gang. Yeah. We didn't have all that much time. None. Frank Zappa and the humans. Humans. We're at the best place around. But some stupid with a bolt spell. What did he do? Burn the place to the ground. What a dick. Smoke on the black tier. Yeah. Fire in the sky. In the sky. Oh no. Smoke on the black tier. What? Fire in the sky. Oh no. Yeah. Smoke on the black tier. So Pinnacle, right, who published Savage Worlds and also Make It, during the era when Sog 2 was made, they would vet any third party products that were made for the system. And if they deemed it good enough, they would give you the third-party license and allow, allow you to make money off it, uh, whilst Pinnacle took a cut. Darkhold got this license, while Saga did not. And it isn't an issue of quality, not even close, because both products have the art and quality production uh, that you'd associate with any big brands out there. But the trouble is, at the time, Pinnacle also had a policy of not licensing products that were too similar in nature, and just so happened that Darkhold got there first. Now, now this is this probably bullshit corner here, but I did hear a rumour at the time that uh, was substantiated by someone in on the inside, right, who I won't name, 
Uh, but Rebel Minis apparently took Dark, uh, who made Darkhold, heard about Saga of the Goblin Horde and rushed their product to do, to release to get there before Richard could. But I will say there's not any hard proof that it's out there. But mm. I do know somebody very much on the inside who told me this. That'd be a bit savage if they did that. It would be almost savage worlds. It would. You know. You well, know. He's, he's had to go under the fan license as a result. Now, right, you, 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 they've got, uh, what is it, Savage Worlds Adventure Guild? Swag. Swag. Yeah, they've got swag, so anyone can put anything out there now, as long as, you know, it's, you know, not got raping in it, um, and you can make money off it, and Pinnacle will take a measly 80%. I don't think it's that high, but I think it's 60. I think it's 60. However, uh, considering all this, Saga of the Gumman Hood still remains free. And while support for it has slowed down while Richard focuses on his Tricube Tales system, Saga of the Goblin Horde was supported for a long, long time with free stuff, including one-shots, pre-gens, and crossovers, including one with wise guys called the Gobfather. You know, there's, there is a ton of stuff out there for Saga. It's crazy. And all of it's free. Yeah. And, and on his website includes uh, instructions of how to print your own print-on-demand copy using Lulu. Yeah. So that's what I've got there. That I was supposed to send to a fan, a hundred episodes ago. That I never did. <laughs> <laughs> you're a, you're a great guy. I know. Thank you. Sorry about that, Terry. The best crossover ever with Tiger of the Golden Horde uh, is uh, with two products made surrounding this very podcast. The first of which is the Saga of the Goblin Horde action deck, which Richard made for us when he visited England and came to Savage Gone, and now he's pregnant. Uh, only three of these decks exist, and it's a deck of cards featuring the artwork from uh, Saga, but adds an extra suit called the Twat Suit. Because in Savage Worlds, you use cards for initiative, and when you pull a Joker, you get plus two to all actions that round, and everyone gets a Benny. But when you draw a Twat card, uh, everyone gets a minus two and loses a Benny. Yeah, so you, you get mice too. You can get these in print, um, the the standard deck um, online using DTRPG, but you can't get the twat cards. It's one of my favourite things that I own. And yeah, uh, same. to be honest, right, Cycle of the Goblin Hood, good game, right? But if you bring us stuff like that, ten out of ten, isn't it? <laughs> I just like the fact that we're all no, uh, I seriously do like this. Uh, anyway, but which brings us to the other crossover, right, with this podcast, the Treetop Twits. Pre-gens made of me, Nick, and James as goblins uh, within Saga of the Goblin Horde. And these pre-gens were gracefully provided to us to distribute uh, to and are free on DTRPG. Just search Treetop Twits and... Uh, well, yeah, we, They're under our, our Yeah, shop. yeah, Richard gave them to us to yeah. distribute. He said, yeah, you know, if people download them, then they'll be notified of future things you put up. Now, the trouble is, since then, I've only put up uh, Cumped oh, yeah, really. and Don't. <laughs> Which is a shame. So I've really fucked it. But, uh, you know, I won't get into these too much, right? But these uh, pre-gens are kind of funny because they include references to the podcast and some sort of very personal, hurtful attacks, <laughs> right? I mean, for example, my one called Hammy Groin Gazer, because, you know, has the funny voice hindrance. And, you know, I. I no, but. And also, he says I'm a braggart. So basically. Fuck you, Richard. Worst <laughs> game ever made. <laughs> but James, your character is obsessed with his hair. Yes, mate. But which is, I think, something you've overcome since this was made. Oh, yeah. You've yeah, still got definitely. nice hair, obviously. Yeah. You used to be... It's super low maintenance now. Yeah. I was a bit... I was a very... Uh, now, now you've got a long-term I was a highly autistic girlfriend. when it comes to my hair. Yeah. You touch it, I'd basically cry. 
like that time when we walked an hour and a half to go and get your hairspray. Yeah, you know, I didn't realise that it was that long <laughs> because it was long to get there, but it's because everyone in America drives everywhere. Yeah, and he and told we, it, he was like, it's walk, just down the road, man. Just, oh, just a couple of blocks down the road, man. Oh, we start, oh, yes, we'll, we'll walk there. It took us 45 minutes to go to Walmart. Yeah, and then we got to Walmart and we saw somebody stealing. Yeah. Classic. That's Pretty a hire for you. Um, but yeah, you've also got thin-skinned, James, so you're, you're more impervious to insults. <laughs> and also, one of the background portions of your character mentions you eating just about anything, so much so that you will sleep with your mouth open in the hopes that something will crawl in. <laughs> uh, which is why your character is called Jammy, Jammy Deep, Deep Throat. throat. <laughs> I'll fuck your mom straight in the shit pipe. Fucking hell, this has been a long podcast. But that's the world of Goblin RPGs. And I'm sure there are others we haven't mentioned, but I don't give a fucking shit. And also, I'd like to give a shout out to Kobolds Ate My Baby, which is uh, not about goblins. It's about kobolds, obviously. But it did inspire Saga of the Goblin Horde, if I'm not mistaken. And it's one that we'll review later down the line. So, James... So We've reviewed the... every Goblin RPG there yeah. ever was, right? Ever. So, Goblin Quest, Darkhold, Goblin Slayer, Saga. Which one are you going for? I'm going for Sotg. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you, you can't beat the price. Saga of the Goblin Horde. So, I know there are some people that don't like PDFs. I am one, right? But Yeah, but just get a print on Lulu. Because and, it's and free he, anyway. He includes detailed instructions on his website, which How I think is godwars2.blog. Well. Just search up Zadmars Games, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and he, ins- he includes detailed instructions how to print it yourself on Lulu. So you're essentially going to set it up, print yourself a test copy. I think that one sent me back a tenner, includes the- including postage. Yeah, and that's... I mean, and this is a hardback. Yep. You got hardback version. <laughs> Sorry about that, Terry. And I got, um, I mean, well, fuck you to everyone, but um, there was a an artist who did all the artwork for the cards, and there was one in particular, the uh, Queen, um, and then I got that signed by Richard. Uh, something I forgot to do when we met him, which I'm going to be gutted about to the day I die. Listen, not to, not to be a cunt here, but Darkhold is a fucking fantastic game. Goblin Quest, great party game. Goblin Slayer, Good a, good, a, good, a good RPG that happens it's to not first, really be about the first English print of Sword World. There you go, right? But Saga of the Goblin Horde is one of my favourite RPGs of all time, right? I mean, I love it. We, the amount of times that we've sort of picked it out as a, as a one-shot, it's, it's been a... We've done one-shots, we've done we've done a couple shots, but we've then... We've done bum-shots. We... Sorry about that, Richard. But, um, you know, but the campaign is a 10-episode campaign hmm. that is essentially the quality of the one-shots he releases for it. Yeah, with that level of difference between each episode, and it's crazy. He's put a lot of thought, time, effort, blood, sweat, tears into all. And he's also like, like very funny. But look, not to suck his dick too much because I already did that during the wrestling match. (laughs) But look, I I just want to say it's it's fucking amazing. It's free. Fucking get it. But the same goes for the other ones we've spoken about here are also well worth a play. But Saga the Goblin Horde. Listen, not to spoil the end of year show. But it might win a award, yeah. and I always say oh, award because that's I'm pretty ghetto in it. It's like yeah. I, how I always say whack. <laughs> oh what? What are you talking about? That's whack, man. Stop being so whack, homie. <laughs> um, all right, well that's uh, Goblin RPGs. Now we we are running so long. This is the longest podcast you've ever done. Let's do some fucking electro letters. Right, I need a whack. In right. the future, you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere 
on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. So, look, this is the longest episode we've done in a while. James has got about now 13 minutes before he has to leave. And I'm eating into it right now. So, we asked for your RPG hot takes on Discord. And now, because my wife didn't know what that meant, it just means an unpopular opinion. Mm. Right? Things that get riled, people riled up. And we're going to start with Ace. He says, uh, women are better at game mechanics than men, but can't roleplay for shit. <laughs> now, that's a rough one, Ace. That's, that's pretty intense. However, in your experience, James, women are better at game mechanics, but can't roleplay for shit. Um, right, so in my experience, I actually... Well, we actually commented on a couple of the uh, female variety at UKG, um, who did a, a very, very well. Um, I will say that the see that was my my immediate thought yeah. was that they were about the same as all the men. I would say typically um, it's a male dominant um, hobby. That's just how it is. I think we're just. So I wonder if maybe Ace has gone to a lot of games mm. and he's like, the women here are shit, but there just happens to be none. Yeah. I, I, I'll probably agree that women are better at game mechanics, honestly. Honestly, because... Well, think about the um, the lady who did the fucking mannerism and then absolutely immediately understood exactly how to... Within five fucking minutes, understood yeah. how to break that shitty fucking system. Like do, do a couple turns and then suddenly every turn she had, every, something got increased. I, I, I think that's also because men are more immature and we're also stupider. End of story. Yeah. But as for can't roleplay for shit, I don't know, man. I've, I, I think it's equal. Honestly, but uh, I, I've seen less women, sadly. But that's just the way things are, isn't it? Yeah, I think. And I've made sure of it. <laughs> uh, Lassie, he says, not a dig at the advantage slash disadvantage system. It's kind of neat, but the reason given is pure BS. Dice math slash multi. Right, his, his whole thing is he's saying, right, you know, in D and D five, you've got advantage, right? So mm. you just roll two D twenty, take the better or take the worst. Yeah. Now, he's saying that uh, the the D like, oh, it's too complicated adding all your stats and your maths together, right? But he's he's calling bullshit on that. It's not it's not that difficult. No, it really fucking is. Well, it's only difficult if you're a newbie or you you can't read your sheet well. Like it, I don't, I haven't met a single person that doesn't like advantage slash disadvantage. It's a good fucking system. However, I agree with him. Adding up isn't that hard, and I prefer it, honestly. Well, yeah, because that's the whole point in the system that you've got. Like, this is one thing that we did used to enjoy about Pathfinder and then got tired of just because... No, but I still I still enjoy games like that where yeah. you have the bonuses and stuff because it it makes you feel like the way you're spending your points is worthwhile. Yeah, precisely. It was just at certain moments, depending on the situation you're in, it could um, have... Uh, made it last a bit longer than you maybe wanted to and take some of the uh, fazans out of it I agree I agree I agree but then but then but most RPGs are just very basic maths and this is what uh, Lassie says I agree with you I don't necessarily think that's a hot take Lassie I think advantage is disadvantage we like it but we also uh, we're nerds we like the stats Mm. we just don't want too many Um, he's got a couple of uh, he's got a couple of quick fire ones here so let's answer them quickly he says uh Elves are overrated. Disagree, I like elves. Same. 
Orgs are fine. Stop making up problems that don't exist. I think he's talking about people using them as standing for black people. But I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about people saying that people use them for as standing for black people. I don't think they do at no. all. Orcs are just orcs because they're their own thing. I think they're standing for evil. Yeah, as opposed a, to they're standing for yeah. I do think if you if you if you're seeing a stand like in in Tolkien, a hundred percent they're standing for evil as a concept personified, right? If you're if you're looking at that and going, oh, he's, he's having to go black. I mean, probably was a racist, you know, Tolkien. You came from a different time, but if you're looking at that or you're looking at the average RPG game and going, oh, that's a standing for black people. They're racist. You're probably racist. Let's be fucking honest. I mean, yeah. it's like you're you're seeing something where something that doesn't exist. You're going. Evil, that means black people. You're racist. Sorry. <laughs> he also says anime is cringe. Keep it out of RPGs. Uh, well, I direct this at you because you're more of an anime fan than I am. Well, I would say it really depends how it's used because like the anime tropes, yes, they're not needed. They are quite stupid. They're stupid in the animes themselves. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a story told in a different way. Um, I, also, I think anime is mostly shit. But then anime is a medium, not a genre. It's in the same oh, sure. way that RPGs like encompass so many different things. Like there are anime genres that I will, I, in terms of, I like the more adult ones. Like I like Akira. Mm. I was going to say Death Note, but it's probably more teen based. But mm. I like it anyway. But the plot is very complex, and 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 you know I like the ones that have adult themes and things I can enjoy as an adult. If if you're never going to catch me watching fucking. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ, I was going to say Sailor Moon, but I like that. Look, the point is, right, <laughs> fuck face. No, anime is cringe, and it can be cringe, but it is, it's a medium, and it's not a genre, and as a result, it depends on how you use it. If I was to play an anime set in, say, the world of Akira, or Monster, or mm. something like that, that or, you know, or anything by Satoshi Kon, like Paprika, Tokyo Godfathers, anything like that, that's anime, but it's not cringe. It's an adult film but in a, uh, in a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. In much the same way that, you know, you want to enjoy fucking Wes Anderson shit, it's the same fucking thing. But in general, I agree, because all of the uh, RPGs I've ever seen that are quote-unquote anime, it's just playing on those tropes. Made is different because it's doing it for comedy effect. I mean, that's the whole point of it. It's taking the piss out of it specifically. Trouble is, taking it for a genre, that's the problem, isn't mm. it? Um, Have you seen an alien, please? So CJ, he says Vancian magic only promotes turtling and metagaming. So Vancian magic is from the stories by someone, Van, Vance, who made some books, whose name I can't remember. Um, something Vance. Right, but they were like, oh God, I'm going to make a, such a tool of myself here, but think 70s fantasy mm -hmm. and the whole system was you get three of this spell a day four of this spell a day and so on right and that's what D&D uses it is so he's saying the Vancian magic it promotes metagaming so that whole three uses a day this that and the other to be honest with you CJ I do agree to the most part because why would you go into a dungeon knowing that you're two spells down when you could just go back to the end and rest and go in tomorrow with all your spells. I do agree, but I think it's... Uh, I do think part of it is all about strategy. But then again, I say that, and the most fun I've ever had in RPG was, was with, like, DCC. 
And there's where, bear magic in it. Yeah, you, uh, you you can use it as many times as you want, but you yeah. run the risk of fucking yourself up permanently, and that's way more fun because well, the strategy... what we're doing with the mutations as well in MCC. Exactly. Because they're so, just traps, they're different spells trapped in a different way. Absolutely. And the strategy isn't, oh, I've only got one more of this left per day. It's like, do I really want to risk using this again today? Mm. And Savage Worlds is the same. Like I feel like uh, the powers, they be- they come more free-flowing in Savage Worlds, especially when you consider how you can rest an hour to recover a PowerPoint. T- to be perfectly honest, the the systems that award magic more freely tend to be more fun. Yeah. That's just true. I don't mind D&D magic, because I actually think it's part of a strategy. Like, I like... One of my one of the most fun moments playing a spellcaster was in your campaign, James, where it became it was incredibly harsh in certain aspects but it was like we would sit down and think alright what do we think is coming up let's plan out our spells this that and the other right yeah and that's part of the fun of it I think if you're a strategizer that's fun uh, I do understand that a lot of people hate it and I can understand why but yeah yeah it depends how you're sort of built and and I think, what you're used to and but how it's also getting them. used to that that campaign if you see it's a campaign where Vancey and Magic is there then you kind of get into that mindset. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He continues, once you have more than a paragraph of house rules, you should find another rule set and write your own. <laughs> Completely agree. Well, do you remember that fucking cunt on the Savage Worlds Facebook group? Oh, yeah. He, he used basically just... nothing from the book that and was... said it was his favourite system. Uh, ended up blocking me, sadly. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. I do remember. So, oh, yeah, I do that, but I don't use uh, Benny's Edges... I don't use hindrances. But do you, you know what? At that point, write your own fucking system and yeah. play that. A lot of people do it and they have a lot of fun. If you're still saying you like Savage Worlds but you don't use any of it, it's not Savage Worlds. Mm. Just go, we're playing my rule set. End of story. Good fun. Uh, he also says, play however the fuck you want as long as you and the group enjoy it. Damn well, fucking straight. Well, that's exactly that, yeah. Mate, there's a lot of jokes. Uh, look, consider some of the places our actual places, our actual plays have gone. Now think about what we do in private at our games. It's gone dark. It's gone real bad. It's gone bad, and it's gone like absolutely. It's just sometimes it just gets stupid, doesn't it? We've mentioned it enough in the what you've been playing segment. It gets stupid, but it also gets to the point where it's not something I would admit. I would admit freely to people I don't know, mm. right? And but between us, we're mates. We've known each other since we were like one, right? Exactly. That's all right, okay. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, just it's like the vegan one that we had the other other week. It's like, but that player's not enjoying it. Yeah, as long as everyone at the table's enjoying it, that's fine. Yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. I I think it's really weird to get annoyed at people's personal tastes. Like, fucking as much as I like some of the stuff he does, RPG pundit goes on all the time about how RPGs are supposed to be a tool for creating a living virtual world that the players live in. Well, yeah, unless you, all of the people at your table want a fucking railroaded campaign or they want a dungeon crawl or they want something simple. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, that's what you think RPGs are for, but it's not what everyone thinks. No, RPGs at the table is a collective. It's about what everyone enjoys. Mm. I've had campaigns where I've gone, I have this great idea and it's got fucked into the water and then all of the players are having fun doing something different and I've adapted yeah, it's about what everyone wants at the table, and um, yes, 
I don't think that's even... Well, maybe it is a hot take, because everyone seems to think they know the exact way RPGs are supposed to be played. And I do, because I'm great. That is it for CJ's ones. Uh, oh my god, there are so many of these, James. I'm going to skip to kill defences. He says, hot take. Piracy is okay. And I dare say promotes purchase. Every physical book I own, I pirated a PDF of first, so I could give it a read. I see what I wanted to actually spend my money on. Uh, I can't justify blind purchases as they are a gamble in quality. This is also why those free no-art versions of systems are a smart idea. Yeah, and uh, Lamentations does a free no-art version. You can download the entire rules right now. Oh, yeah, you can. You can, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in agreement. A hundred percent in agreement. I'm in agreement with um, with that because I feel like in, in in the RPG world, although other people not in it sees it as nerdy and stuff, there's a lot of time and investment that goes into the product you choose. For instance, D and D. I know there's a lot of people who are bought into it and then they get all oh, the, the next release of whatever, the next release whatever. But that's because they've chosen a the system, they enjoy it, they run with it and they, I don't know, a collector or something. But if you wanted to branch out and do another system, it's unlikely you're just going to go, I'll just pick this up, I'll just pick that up. If someone gave it to you, you'd give it a read. But it should be be a considered purchase, right? And I feel as if having a look at a book before you buy it in that manner, right, it actually promotes better products. Because if you know somebody's going to pirate your fucking product, then... You've got to make it viable. You've got to make it good enough to want to buy it physically. And uh, I will just say this. If you've ever pirated a 3T RPG product, I will fucking hunt you down and I'll be on your ass like a baboon. All right? Rape baboon. Not that. Uh, No, but yeah. Rape seed fire-breathing baboon. I agree. I've done it all the time. There's no two ways around it. I do it all the fucking time because it is a gambling quality, especially now we're at the point where um, uh, print-on-demand stuff is so rife. Mm. Anyone can make a product. It doesn't mean you should. And I, I will always pirate something before I buy it. Mimir, he says, here's a couple from least to most spicy. Uh, I'll, I'll just start I'll, I'll do a couple here but he says starting your adventure in a tavern is always dull and people should simply stop it's not uh, it's it, not it's like the easiest icebreaker because yes we know it's a trope but it's a trope that everyone knows and understands if you're strapped for time if you if the idea is to get character background and to get them to interact then use it it's fine if the idea is that you're at a con and you need to break people out of their shell and then it's a one shot and then that is the easiest way to Lay the lead, mate. And just do it. Just do it. I completely agree. You could do it for 10 years, right? Every campaign you start in the same way. And people will find funny, interesting twists on it. That's kind of the... the. It's, it's almost like a, the Irishman and the Scotsman and an Englishman walk into a bar thing. You know what I mean? I feel like in some cases it's a rite of passage. It must be, right? Yeah. But no. also, you know, it's... it's it, it, but that's why these hot takes I suppose because it gets us fucking talking but yeah I don't know I am fine with it and I feel like you could do it so many interesting ways anyway he says that's his least spicy his most spicy bottoms can't GM so I assume Amir is a gay gentleman a bottom a bottom is somebody that takes it up the rear is that right a top is somebody that gives it up the rear no wonder I can't GM there you go same same 
a couple more. Oh my god, James, there's so many. We we have to. We'll return to this next episode. Yes. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. We'll just. We won't ask another question. We'll just finish the ones we didn't. Yes. So, last one we'll talk about now is Tizer Man. He says RPG influencing video game equals e- good. Equals good. Video game influence in RPG equals, equals bad. bad. I do agree. When RPGs learn, when video games learn from RPGs, you get good games, right? Like Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, uh, fucking. You, the influence is ridiculous, starting with Dragon Quest all the way up to, say, fucking Bayonetta. But the other. When you try to make video games influence RPGs, you get too systemic. And I remember talking to somebody uh, who's done sessions for our group before. Uh, who I won't name, but he said he wanted to do an RPG based on uh, Death Road to Canada. And the whole point of that game is picking choices and going, you see a group of bandits, and it's a video game, and you go, you see a group of bandits, do you drive around or try to fight them? And then a random roll happens. But it's like, you'd be like, no, I chuck a piece of chicken out the window, distract them, and then go around and then call them a fag, and then I go home. Yeah, right. It in, uh, it's, it's RPG, too, there's too much wouldn't... scope from an RPG to yeah. learn from a video game. I feel yeah. like they've evolved. Video games have evolved from RPGs, not the other way around. So I, I agree. So yeah. yeah. Well then, James, do an outro because your wife is outside. Girlfriend. <laughs> goblin. 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 Um, thank you very much for your letters. They're great. We'll touch the ones that we didn't get to this time. Yeah, because James is a great guy so um, if you'd like to get in contact with us go to uh, the email device and uh, enter 3trpgpod at gmail.com and send us what's uh, wrong with you nudes. man you can't take a four hour podcast oh, God, some I am, nudes yeah, I'm, not, then, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I am, I am so tired <laughs> but then uh, if you'd like to check out our uh, DTRPG products just type in 3 3trpg <laughs> publishing <laughs> and then also sling us a buck on Patreon no, because no the last one though I shouldn't have interrupted do yeah. give us money do give us money because uh, otherwise we can't I know James recently was in a horrific car accident he needs a new I need a new bit of chicken he needs a new <laughs> he needs a new bit of chicken he needs a new leg yeah mate chicken layer if he doesn't get that leg then goodbye everyone <laughs> <laughs>